from Parts Unknown. This is the TK and J Show. Now, here are your hosts, TK and J. After 635 long days, one and three quarter years, finally, the Browns have come back to the win column. Baker, Baker, the touchdown maker, saves the day, and the Cleveland Browns find themselves in the thick of the AFC North race. And with that, welcome to the TK and Jay show. I am TK. And I am Jay. Man, oh man, what a week we had. Yeah, man, what a week, what a week. It's a week for winners. That's I'm telling you that right now. We are better than 16 teams in the NFL right now. Say that again. We are better than 16 teams in the NFL right now. And our defense, honestly, is probably better than 26 or 7 teams in the NFL right now. And that's not rosy homer glasses. The stats speak for themselves. They have 11 turnovers in three games. That is an incredible start for this young defense. Yeah, and we're, we're playing on all cylinders on that side of the ball. And it's exciting because defense wins championships. And Baker Mayfield is all he needs to do is do something special, and we're gonna win a championship. Oh man! So before we get too crazy and get everything out of control, my man Jay, how was your week? The week was uh, it was special because the Browns won. So the week was great. Nothing else mattered. The Browns won. Yeah, same here. You know, Browns win on the Thursday. I played golf on Sunday. I had seven birdie putts. I only made one of them. However, the score reflected that I had seven birdie pots and I wasn't chipping all over the course. So that was fun. Perfect day out there to do that. Um, had to take the dog to the vet yesterday. She got some kind of crazy rash. And shout out to my sister's work. She works at the vet's office. They got her all taken care of. And she's in much better shape and mood today. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, you know, the weather, the weather took a turn this week. I felt like Ohio, as soon as the fall came, it said, yeah, we're going to go ahead and shut off the heat. So, you know, the days have been tolerable, but colder at night. And so it's amazing that you got out there and got some golf in before it actually starts to snow next week. It's not going to snow <laughs> next week, Jay. Don't be talking like that. You're going to get off this podcast so fast your head will spin. We don't say that word. I have two words for you, friend. El Nino. <laughs> and I'm hoping that we have a warmer you know, winter this year because we paid we paid the price last winter, and I'm right now currently as we speak sitting in shorts. So I guess the cold doesn't bother me that much. I mean, I sit in shorts at home regardless of what time of the year it is. I don't care. You'll find me going outside to get the mail, taking out the trash if it's 30 degrees outside. If it's 20 degrees outside, I'll stand outside with the dogs. I even grill in snowstorms, man. I don't care, and I'll grill in my shorts. You are crazy, man. You're crazy. <laughs> This is true. I mean, um, my wife certainly didn't marry me for my uh, my uh, head or my um, my uh, common sense, to say to say the least. I'd say your boyish good looks would do it. Well, yeah, some days that gets me by. I guess <laughs> some people say it's the blue eyes, but I don't know. I don't look at them. <laughs> so ways you guys can get a hold of us. I had some people asking me how they could get a hold of the show, so I went ahead and uh, threw it out there. Uh, you can, through the Anchor app, leave us a voicemail. And, yes, I am recording. I can't tell you how many times we have gotten into a great debate or a great discussion. Five minutes into it, I look down, and I'm like, well, son of a gun, we ain't recording. Let's, let's do that again. So Jay's looking over like, dude, are we talking right now? <laughs> yes, 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 we are. <laughs> yeah, he saw me slide over a little bit, and I wanted to make sure because we started out hot, and then all of a sudden we're usually not recording. So Right. <laughs> 
So you can uh, leave us a voicemail on the Anchor app. You can email us, tkandjshow at yahoo.com. Or you can tweet at us at J-A-E underscore T-K. So we both had great weeks because the Browns won. So let's just jump right into some Browns and Jets talk. Um, I'm not going to be too negative too long, but I don't know how much worse Tyrod Taylor could have looked. 4 of 14 for 19 yards, left the game with concussion-like symptoms. Uh, When that kid entered the field, man, I tell you what, the entire complexity, the entire mindset of that team changed, and it was it was something I haven't felt since this team came back in 99. You want to know one thing I noticed about Baker Mayfield, and, and this was even before Tyrod uh, actually went out of the game. So we're talking maybe second quarter. I, I have a good friend of mine, a co-worker, who he's a season ticket holder, and he, he pays attention to stuff like this. And he's telling me that you should have seen Baker Mayfield on the sideline, helmet on, pacing back and forth after every time the Browns looked bad on offense. Baker was ready to come in this game, whether Tyrod got injured or not. So Baker was he was going to set this world on fire because he knew that he was only going to have this chance to do it, to make a break, to prove to Hugh Jackson, the Browns fans, that he deserves to be the starter and Tyrod doesn't. So when he came in, he lit it on fire, and I'm happy for the kid. Quite honestly, though, if you really look at it and read between the lines and a lot of what Hugh Jackson said, especially after the game, I really think the only one that Baker needed to prove it to was Hugh Jackson because we knew he could come in and play special. I think Todd Haley knew we could come in and play special because the way that kid threw the ball, he got the ball out quick. He made quick decisions. He threaded the needle. He wasn't afraid. So I think as I read somebody's joke on Twitter, Todd Haley was actually able to turn the page to page two of his playbook <laughs> and actually start calling some plays. <laughs> that's great. And, so, and, and, and that's exactly what Baker did. He didn't hold on to the ball. Uh, he saw that the rush was, was heavy. He helped his offense alignment out by getting the ball out. Uh, one, two, ball out. One, ball out. Or he's, he's having that clock in his head that – Oh gosh, I've been back here for three to four seconds. I need to get out of the pocket, and that's that's a sign of a a talented talented athlete right there. Absolutely, and also too, I got to give props to the defense too. They gave up two early touchdowns. No thanks to the offense, but you know when Tyrod was in there, Crowell two touchdowns and Crowell. No offense. Next week, Jay doesn't know this yet, but we're gonna bring back a TK's tirade favorite. A lot of people love this. I used to do a segment, and I know this is a family friendly show, but what's another name for a donkey? Ass. A jackass. So we're going to bring back the famous jackass list. And Mr. Crowell, you, sir, are the president of the jackass list. More to come on that next week. Good grief. But uh, you can't wipe the your butt with the ball and throw it in the stands. Come on, son. The people here actually enjoyed watching you play and appreciated what you did. It's not your fault that or the fans' fault that the front office didn't appreciate what you did. Get and, the hell out of my stadium. And and you know, the thing about it is, is we all we all liked Crow before he went there. We all were cheering for Crow. And we all felt to him to be one of our better players. We almost had him second to, to Cribs. I mean, Cribs is like untouchable right now. And he's a Cribs is at Bernie Kozar level. And Crow was in that second tier. It was like, you know, thank you for all that you did, man. Right. And, you know, we appreciate it. You were in the same category as Peyton Hillis. Like, you know, even though he Peyton Hillis wasn't here long, we felt just enamored with the guy. And then all of a sudden he comes and does that and just basically spits in our face at the dog pound. And it's just like, dude, get out of here. Right. There's no, there's no need for you. That was a big turning point too. I think because after that, that was after the second touchdown, the Browns are down 14, nothing. And I think the defense had a little bit more pep in their step after that. 
Um, when they were down 14 nothing, I felt like they were about to get blown up by four touchdowns. I thought the crowd was very restless. You heard Baker chants. They weren't trying to really talk about it. So the defense sacked up, and I just can't say enough, Baker freaking Mayfield, man. The guy was just – I haven't seen anything like that since 1999. Any of the 30 quarterbacks or 40 quarterbacks, whatever the heck the number is that we've seen, haven't come in and electrified a crowd the way this guy did on Thursday night. And and to, when Drew Brees came out and gave the basically the nod to Baker saying that he could be better than Drew Brees, which is an amazing compliment, by the way. I mean, to think that you could be better than Drew Brees – uh, there's only two quarterbacks that are like that, and that's Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. So to think that you're getting the third best quarterback of maybe all times uh, tip of the cap, Baker came in and and showed that, you know what, maybe he does have the potential to be, if not as good as the top five, better than Drew Brees. Right. And that was a big thing from Drew Brees to come out and say, and the way Baker handled that with his comments following, I thought was very humble of him as well. Um, we talked about a key to the game last week was Carlos Hyde having a breakout game and congrats to Carlos Hyde on the birth of his child. We're happy for you. We're happy mom and baby are doing well. Um, you seem like a pretty stand up guy and I know you're going to be a great dad. Yeah, man. You, you, the man runs from the hospital to the game, uh, literally not, and then back and then back right there. And, and, and I'm saying runs to the game. They literally saw him running from the hospital to get ready for the game to go do that. So you know what? Next week, do the same thing, Carlos Hyde. Not have a baby by the chance, but go to the hospital, run to the game, even though it's in Oakland, and have a game and then run back for us if you could. 23 carries, 98 yards, two touchdowns. We we thought that, that 2.5, 2.6 yards per carry was something that was a little low and we thought they would get better, and it certainly did. Um, being able to have the run game like that really opened up some windows as well for Baker Mayfield. And if you can, as an offense – rush over 100 yards in the game, that makes things so much easier on a rookie quarterback. And it opens up the playbook. It opens up the lanes. They can't stack the box at the line of scrimmage. Carlos Hyde is a difference maker for this football team. The Philly special, quote-unquote, or the Oklahoma special, whatever we want to call that play, that goes to Baker Manfield for that touchdown, doesn't happen without Carlos Hyde getting as much average yards as he was he was amounting when he was running the ball. Right. Two-point conversion, though. Baker, Baker's not that big of a legend. You have to get that touchdown. Yeah. Jarvis Landry um, had a few unbelievable catches, especially that one that Baker hit him when he got down to the five-yard line. Put it in a spot where only Jarvis Landry could get it. Landry, Jarvis saw it, caught it. It was a you, That thing went on a zip line. It had so much zip on it. Eight receptions, 103 yards, another 100-yard game for this guy, and he can't stop talking about Baker Mayfield. Bless him. Bless him. I'm going to tell you, the throws that Baker Mayfield was making was was literally what always people said about Baker was that he puts the ball where either his receiver is going to get it or no one's going to get it. And that throw to Jarvis Landry was really only where Jarvis Landry could get two hands on the ball. Even though the, the defensive back got one hand on there, it was still for Jarvis Landry to get two hands on that ball. Absolutely. Uh, defense, less than 100 yards. I'm sorry, less than 300 yards given up. Held Sam Darnold under 175 yards passing. He quite honestly never really looked comfortable. Had a couple of nice drives, but really never looked comfortable in the pocket. Three more turnovers leads the league. We lead the league with 11 turnovers. That's huge for this team that's really trying to get their offense going. Yeah, and and the one thing that I noticed was that in the weeks previous to Sam Darnold coming to Cleveland was that he wasn't getting 
pressured a lot. He he you had he saw his fair share of pressure, but the Browns were in that backfield time and time at time after time. And they they literally stopped, you know, Crow from running the ball. They stopped Blau Powell from running the ball. Um and because they were attempting to stop the run, they when it when it became time for Sam Darnold to pass the ball, they were running downhill straight at him every single time. Absolutely. Um, and also, you know, Baker's – I want to talk about Baker's stats. We talked about how we didn't hold on to the ball. He made quick decisions. But not only did he do those two things, but he was accurate throwing the football, Jay. 17 of 23 for 201 and only two plus quarters because you figure he came in last right. last part of that second quarter, had the entire second half, and he had three drop passes. So you're looking at a guy who could have been 20 of 23 for 230, 240, and two quarters of football. And and the three drop passes that he had, he had put them right on the receivers. I mean, the Callaway, the Callaway drop, holy, holy moly. That was a beautiful throw. The separation that Callaway got, which is great, and then right there to drop it down an elevator shaft into Callaway's arms was, was just – it showed me that this guy is way beyond the rookie status at this point in his career. And, you know, speaking of Callaway, man, he had one Rob Tyrod Taylor just couldn't get that ball downfield. He was wide blank open. And that's and, and that that right there, those two throws, you take Callaway right there, who has amazing separation uh, abilities, and you put Tyrod back there. He misses Callaway completely. You put Baker back there. He puts it right on him. And that right there shows it was enough evidence for me when Hugh Jackson came out and said, we're going to wait till Monday. I said, all you need to do is look at the tape at that between the two Callaway throws, that's all you need to know right there. The fact that he said he needed to look at the tape I thought was kind of ridiculous because you'd have to think a head coach of an NFL team, you've got the stats in front of you. Right. I'm at home on my couch. I'm looking at the stats before I go outside and do my epic Stone Cold impression, which we'll talk about more in a minute. But I see 414 for 19 yards and just couldn't make a throw, couldn't decide if he wanted to throw or run or hold or what he was doing. To a kid who comes in and throws for 200 yards in two quarters, and you tell me you got to look at the tape. Somebody, I also read somebody should have said, you know, John Dorsey should have walked in right after that press conference and said, buddy boy, you ain't got to look at nothing. You're fired or this kid's playing. Yeah, and you know what? I'll, t- I'll play the devil's advocate. I'll say why Hugh Jackson probably said that is because he probably wanted to respect Tyrod Taylor, pull him in the room and say, sir, it is what it is. Right. You, you know what happened. You saw what happened out there. This man led us to a victory. And he did it in style. He did it in grace. I, I, you know, I don't know what more you need to know. But I think John. I mean, uh, Hugh Jackson, maybe John Dorsey wanted to pull Tyrod in and just give him that respectable conversation and say, uh, no matter what, at this point, you will be the backup, and I need you to step up as a veteran and help us mold this kid into our franchise quarterback. I agree 100% there, and I think Tyrod will do that. Also, with Garoppolo going down, he could be trade bait, which I wouldn't be upset with because I'm okay with Drew Stanton also being in our quarterback room uh, as a backup if needed. I mean, if we're going to Drew Stanton, the season's probably over anyway, and we're in deep doo-doo. So if Tyrod Taylor wants to play and you think it's going to be a better fit, I wouldn't be opposed to getting a draft pick or two for Tyrod Taylor out to San Francisco. And and, and so this is where I would have that that Kaepernick debate. And I don't I don't really do the the political debates. I'm not into that stuff because it's like talking to a wall. But if you're going to go after Tyrod Taylor, San Francisco, you got to go after Kaepernick or you just prove the collusion totally 
because they're they're the same type of player. I mean, they're average at best at throwing, and they're you know they're they're scramblers. So Kaepernick's taller and he's a better athlete. So yeah, I mean, yeah, even though he's to. been there, you, yeah, I would agree. You'd have to take a look. You at have him. to. You have to take a look at Kaepernick. You have to. And if Kaepernick doesn't want to play with San Francisco, that's fine. That's a different story. But if you're gonna look at Tyrod, you got to look at Kaepernick. And if you bring Tyrod in, I mean, you're San Francisco. You're asking for a fire start. Right. So. You know, I uh, Baker's comments after the game, saluting the Cleveland fans, dilly dilly. Oh man, that was that was spot on. I really enjoyed that. It just shows the kind of kid that he is, the spunk that he has, the energy that he brings to this organization. Also, something that you know they mentioned to him that he was going to be the thirtieth quarterback to start since nineteen ninety nine, and basically he said, "I don't care. It's two thousand and eighteen. We just won a game. We're not here to just win one game. We're here to build a. We're building a franchise." and that earned so much respect for me being a rookie, noting the situation that he's in and everything that we've been through to understand how we feel. The kid is years ahead of himself as far as humbleness, career-wise, uh, even on the field. He's making decisions that third and fourth and fifth year guys are still struggling to make, and he's doing it in his first game. Folks, I don't know if you if you had a chance. I know most people, and by the way, uh, let's talk about almost a year ago, you guys here in Northeast Ohio had a lot of venom for the kid because he planted the flag at OSU. Sorry to bring that up, Ohio State fans, but it happened. But to me, at that moment, that kid showed me a lot of moxie and a lot of maturity, even though it seemed like a Bush League move to do that. That kid had his team fired up to go into the shoe and and won in the shoe because Ohio State the year previous – came in their place and won. So he wasn't going to lose to Ohio State again. And that's what type of man we need here that says, I'm not going to lose. This is exactly why he was pacing on the sideline because we were looking terrible. And Baker Mayfield is about sick of looking terrible. Right. And Baker's a kid, too, that if you look at his track record going back to high school, going back to both colleges that he walked onto and played at, Mm -hmm. all he's done is win football games, put up numbers, and play in the clutch. And that's something that we just haven't had since 1999, and it is about time that this city and this franchise and this fan base has hope and something to look forward to. A lot of people always compare Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel, and I said that was a lot of shenanigans, and that was lazy. That was very lazy to compare them to the two because Baker Mayfield had already shown he was way better than Johnny Manziel ever could wish to be. And I'll tell you why right now. What was the difference? Johnny Manziel was gifted. Uh, he was gifted. He he basically won games, and it was just basically like handed to him. You know what I mean? Like he, he had a talent- walk through college. Yeah, he had a talented team. There's a lot of draft picks off the team, but the difference between him for for me with Baker was Baker won his games. Baker worked for his games. Johnny never had to work to win his games. It happened. He won. He was a winner, but it, it felt more like Baker was like, "I'm not going to lose." Johnny Manziel was comfortable. Was just just playing the game the way he was going to play. Johnny Manziel couldn't read all, uh, defenses. He barely even knew his own playbook. He just literally slept walked, like TK said, through his college career, got to the NFL, and was like, uh-oh, this is real. Guys are fast here. I cannot run everybody. Exactly. These, I can't improvise every single play. Right. And, oh, yeah, I've got to spend some time in the film room. I need to get here at 4, 35 o'clock every right. morning and get in my butt in the film room. And that's something that Baker is. Baker's a student of the game. He is not – Afraid to go in there, watch his film, 
figure out what defenses are going to throw at him. And right now they've thrown a lot at this kid, and all he's done has gotten better and better and better each week. Now, is he going to go out there every week and light up the world like this? No. He's going to have a couple of games where we're like, oh, man, that kind of stunk. But I feel he'll learn from that, and it's not going to be one of those things where if he goes out and has a four-interception game, oh, my gosh, Baker's ruined. No. Baker's going to go into that film room the next day and figure out what I did wrong and how am I going to fix it? And I think from week to week, he'll get better and better. I think Baker gets us six wins this season. Six to seven is comfortable of where I feel at right now. And I'm telling you, like TK said, he's going to learn. He's going to continue to learn. He's going to bookmark. And he's going to come back next season. You throw that same offense, uh, defense at him, he's going to he's going to eat you up. This man was a beast in college. And, and I'm telling you, the tapes did not show it because people compared this man to Johnny Manziel. And that still makes me upset to this day. That dude is way better than Johnny Menzel could ever wish to be because he's he's a better student of the game. He understands football and defense way better than Johnny Manziel could have ever thought to. Also, he's an upstanding guy. Absolutely. So, Jay, Browns finally taught themselves how to win a close game. They had a lot of them last year, could never close it out. They came back from behind, down 14 at home, win 21-17. to 17. Our quarterback of the future is here. His time is now it's just a shame that it took us 20 years to get there yeah and and you know after miss after miss after miss you you know we finally get a guy in John Dorsey in the in the front office and you see where Kansas City is right now uh his draft pick was Mahomes I mean look at the kid right now Mahomes (laughs) man we're gonna talk about him later yeah we got we got some thoughts on Mahomes there's a lot there's a lot of good thoughts on Mahomes that's a John Dorsey draft pick ladies and gentlemen so when he picked Baker Mayfield and he picked Denzel Ward, you got a lot of people were skeptical, didn't think the Browns were doing what they're doing. When I walked away from the draft that day, I said, we, we got some winners on our team. And both of those men have panned out to be what John Dorsey thought they were going to be. I am excited that John Dorsey is here because the Browns are going to turn around with the way he runs this team. Guarantee it. My man, Jay, we had a lot of upsets this past weekend in week three of the NFL. And I can't wait to get into him. But before we really get into it, I hate to do this because he's a friend, but I think he's a little bit in over his head, gets a little cocky on Twitter. My boy, Tony Overstar. And I'm going to go ahead and put his Twitter handle out there. It's okay. I know he can take it. He's a big boy. At MapleJordan43. Now, he thinks it's funny sometimes to troll Cleveland, but he's got plenty of things to worry about out there in Minnesota like the Vikings losing to a hapless Bills team. But the other day, the NBA went ahead and put on their Twitter page LeBron in a Lakers uniform. And you know how I feel about that. I can't have a family-friendly conversation about it yet. When I do, and I can, I'll let you know, and maybe we'll talk about it. So he put, he quoted that and said, ha, 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 Cleveland. So I'm just like, okay, jerk. How did you enjoy the uh, Vikings game on Sunday there, Goosey? So then he responds with, it'll be easier when we host hoist the Lombardi Trophy. And then he says, one win in three years, and you guys are sure feeling your oats, which I still don't know what that means. And shout-outs to my boys at Phony Grossi and at Phony Rizzo for totally just joshing this guy. But he says, I would rather have one slip-up to a, uh, as a good team than not win a game for two years. And my response to him was, is you tried to troll us with the Braun. I just fired back about the Vikings. I never once mentioned the Cleveland Browns. I don't have a leg to stand on having an argument Vikings versus Browns. 
You win that every time. But you know how Cleveland fans feel about LeBron. You know how I feel about LeBron. You know that I host my own podcast and I would see that. I hate to say this, but my microphone is bigger than yours. <laughs> you know, trolling anybody in Cleveland, and, and this is an analogy I love to use, when you, especially when you talk about the Browns. Basically trolling a Cleveland Browns fan is like punching a baby and being proud of yourself. Like, what are you getting out of it? We can't say nothing back. We know we're not a good franchise, but you're going to dump on us too? I, it doesn't make any sense right? at all. And, you know, we're talking about a, you know, a meaningless week three game. Well, you know what? We won our week three game. You didn't win your week three game. And after three weeks, you have the same damn record that we do. One, one, and one. And, Goose, you know I love you like a brother. One day I know we're going to go to a Tribe game or a Browns game. We're going to drink a lot of beer and have fun together. But, my man, you can't come out and troll me when you know that I can come out here and talk to you like this. And I'd love to have you on the show and talk more about it. But don't troll us with the Bron. It's still like rubbing a lot of salt in an open wound. And, I mean, quite honestly, I can't stand the sight of LeBron, the thought of LeBron. I've blocked him on all my social media. Anytime Ooh. anybody mentions anything with him, if I see his picture, rather than comment and troll back, I'm like, it's not worth it. It's not worth getting worked up on. I have a podcast now. I work for a nice financial institution. I'm not going to say or do anything that's going to get me in trouble. But don't poke the bear, my friend, because I, would, I wasn't going to say anything about the Vikings. I picked him to go to the Super Bowl. But you got to come out and troll me, man. I got to call you out on it, and I got to stand on it. So have you ever thought about on Twitter, how far have you actually gone to block LeBron? Have you even gone to the part where you put in LeBron words? And no, that I, ha- I haven't gone. You, that's a little too techie for me. I mean, it took me three days to figure out how to unlock our face, our show's Facebook page <laughs> just so people could share the post. I, you know, so I didn't go that far. I was just like Instagram at King James unfollow block Twitter at King James follow unfollow block Facebook block unfollow. Like I'm not going to, cause he'll say something or, you know, whatever inviting Jetty Osmond to go and work right. out with him. Yeah. I don't care about that. You left us. I don't have to worry about your drama anymore. Cause a lot of the time that's what it felt like. And I know we'll talk about that later and I want to get back into it, but don't troll Cleveland because there are enough people out here that can fire back right at you and just make your life miserable. It don't, yeah, it still doesn't understand. It makes no sense to me. Anytime anyone has ever trolled Cleveland, previous LeBron, during LeBron, after LeBron, it's like it, you're trolling Cleveland. We we're not we're not Boston. We're we're not uh, the we're not New York. We're not Florida. We're not California. The states that win all the time, you know, why can't we be happy to have a winning team ever? Like, you know, we when we had LeBron, it, we, we should be allowed to be ecstatic because our team was in the conversation. You don't get that a lot here in Cleveland. So we are starved for for attention and championships and things like that. So to come to us and say anything about Cleveland is, is low down to me. It really is. Right. And if you go through and, you know, take a look at the Cleveland people that he interacts with, none of them I really saw – went out of their way to troll him for the Vikings losing. I mean, I think that's enough punishment in and of itself to have the the Bills come to your place after looking the way they did through two weeks, getting back into that, dominating you on your home field 27-6. to six. I mean, I don't think I need to say much more than that. Congratulations uh, to Josh Allen for getting his first win as a pro. But, I mean, yeah. That's I mean, all, That's all I have to say. And, and for, 20, for it being 27-6, to six, I mean – when I looked at the stats of the game, they're they're really pedestrian. I'm I'm talking Josh Allen only had one touchdown under sub two hundred. You know, no no running back over a hundred yards. You know, no receiver over a hundred yards. 
lot of pedestrian stats. So it, it's it's it behooves me to to believe that they got beat that bad. Yeah, they had early turnovers that the Bills, to their credit, turned into touchdowns, and their defense stepped up, and they did. They put up twenty seven without Shady McCoy and a rookie quarterback. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's not good, and yeah. that's something that the Vikings have to go in their locker room and talk about and not let it happen again. And I imagine it's not going to happen again for sure. Uh, that that is definitely a wake up call for the Vikings. You guys want to be Super Bowl contenders, which we all feel you are. You're going to go back in the locker room. And you're going to talk about that. You're going to talk about what went wrong, and you're going to talk about not letting that happen. Now, when I had done the NFL preview with Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins is still under 500 as a career starter. So I, this this is him rearing his ugly head right now. And so. it's not going to get any easier because tomorrow night, because, you know, we record on Wednesdays. Tomorrow night you have Rams versus Vikings on Thursday Night Football. You could easily be 1-2-1. and one. And it's not because that the Rams are going to come here and steamroll you. I just feel right now the Rams are the better football team. Oh, they are the better football team. Uh, they were the better football team on paper to begin the season. But the thing about that is still Kirk Cousins has yet to really shine as as a career quarterback. And tomorrow is basically a playoff game. Uh, it has the playoff caliber to be the NFC Championship game. We may see it again. Right. But – at this point in time, I don't think the Falcons, uh, Falcons, the Vikings are clicking on all cylinders right now like they should be. Uh, I feel like the Rams, Rams have been clicking on all cylinders. You got uh, all the Goff, receivers, Gurley, I mean, Woods, Cup. I mean, they're they're clicking right now. It, you can go to anybody. Anybody's getting the ball. So uh, look for the Rams to to come in there, and especially if if the Bills can do it, look for the Rams to take take them out. The second biggest upset we had on Sunday Night Football, and I was playing golf with some friends on Sunday who were Lions fans, you know, my buddy and his dad, and, uh, you know, they were talking about they were having brisket for dinner. Thanks for the invite. I mean, never mind. You didn't invite me. That's, that's okay. That's you okay. got barbecue back there and you didn't invite me? That's okay. I was still on dog <laughs> duty, so I felt my time away on Sunday was to be, you know, out golfing, and then I came home and was with the dogs the rest of the day. You know, but my buddy was like, oh, yeah, that game's going to be over at halftime. Mm. Little did we know that game was over at halftime, but it was for the opposite reason of what we thought. Mm -hmm. It was the second most surprising upside of the day, only because of the game we just previously mentioned. But the Lions dominated the Patriots in Detroit, 26-10. First 100-yard rusher in 70 games for the Lions. That was fun to see because when Stafford can get a running game, you can see how effective he can be. You want to know the the sad part about them uh, finally getting that 100-yard rusher? it means the Browns still have the longest record for not having a real 100-yard rusher. So, they tied it. They got to 70. They, they tied us. That means we still got the record. Yeah, it's so. all right. It's okay. <laughs> but it, it, it's like we parallel each other. We're the only two teams ever to, to not win a game in a, in a regular season, and now we have the auspicious record of uh, having – 70 games without a 100-yard rusher together. I mean, we are literally linked at the hip with this We are the lovable losers of the NFL yeah, at this point. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, you know, Matt Patricia, the, co- the coach for the Lions, I mean, he was with the, the Patriots forever. So you, you have to figure he had something for them. and, and He, he seemed really to have did. an answer at every turn Absolutely. For there was nothing that Tom could do. That was, I think that was a must-win game, and you hate to say that three weeks in for the Lions, though, new coach playing against your former team, you'd have to think that with the depleted weapons that they, the Patriots have, that the Lions would have been able to put on a performance to keep the game close. But to dominate the way they did, you hold Tom Brady under 150 yards in the air and under 200 in total offense once you take away the sacks. 
Um, is the sun finally setting on hoodie and number 12, or is this just a rough patch to start the season? And once they get some of these weapons back, like after this week, you'll have Julian Edelman back. Is this a team that uh, is still a contender, or are they kind of falling off a bit? I think they're still a contender. You you know, you never got to put Tom Brady in the hood out of contention until they actually are out of contention. And we, we, we realized that in the Fal- uh, Falcons, England's New England Super Bowl. Um, and you, you just got to trust in Tom Brady. And I feel like with the addition of Josh Gordon um, and and maybe even an emergence of Corey Coleman. Uh, we no, might- they cut him. He's back on the practice squad. That's what I, I, I thought I had heard that, but I thought that was a different team when he went to the Bills. So I thought it was his. No, the Bills got rid of Yeah, they got so, rid of him, and then he went to the Patriots, and then the Patriots took another stowaway of Josh Gordon, and then they cut Coleman and then re-signed him to the practice squad, and it could have happened to a better human being. Yeah, man, what is he going to do with all them shoes, though? But I, that, that's that's beside the point. I figured that with, with Josh Gordon uh, coming out, Flash, he's going to be, a, again, he's going to be a, a good asset for, for Tom Brady. I don't think they're done at all. Um, I think Rob Gronkowski – shouldn't be their leading receiver, even though he's the best receiver on the field. He, he, we need, we need Chris Hogan to step up. You you need, you know, you know, James White, Philip Dorsett, guys like that to step up. And I think Josh Gordon's going to help spread that ball out a little bit more for them. Yeah. Until the Patriots aren't in a postseason or they're mathematically eliminated. I'd have to think that uh, they're a contender and they'll turn around. I know it's been pretty rough on defense for them. They're giving up a lot of yards. Um, but I think Collinsworth and uh, Al Michaels made some good points that right now they're kind of working on getting guys experience, trying guys out in different spots to see where things mesh. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the one thing about Bill Belichick is he is great about getting the most out of what he has. He is the king of making chicken salad out of chicken poop. Yeah, the man is King Midas. Whatever he touches turns to gold. Um, so I, I really feel like he, they'll be fine. This is just was a bump in the road. You can't really put too much stake on week three, especially with the Patriots, they'll be there in the end. They're, they're going to win their division, so they already have an automatic ticket to the playoffs. I wouldn't worry about losing to the Detroit Lions at this point. They do have a big game this Sunday with 3-0 and uh, Miami coming to town, and we'll talk about Miami in just a few minutes. But I have to tell you, my favorite game of the weekend, and I wasn't able to really see much. I saw a lot of the highlights on SportsCenter, and I have uh, Drew Brees and a couple of my fantasy teams. But the Falcons and Saints just played a classic barn burner overtime thriller. Breeze and Ryan combined for 10 touchdowns between them. Breeze rushes for two touchdowns, throws for three. Saints win 43-37. Both defenses still can't stop anybody. And quite honestly, Jay, after watching the way the Saints bounce back, makes me feel really good about the validity of our Browns defense. Absolutely. Absolutely. We shut down Drew Brees. And the Falcons, talent indeed, mind you, couldn't do the same thing. So in my opinion, that loss is, is huge. I mean, like it shows us that we are a good team. We're not a bad team anymore. And and we can hang our hat on that loss. As weird as it sounds, we can hang our hat on that loss with the New Orleans Saints because the Falcons couldn't even hang with them. Right. Matt, Matty Ice played out of his mind. He threw for five touchdown passes on a million yards. Uh, you've got the stats up there. Matty Ice throws for 374 and five touchdowns. You can't ask for much more out of your quarterback. I mean, there really wasn't – both running games really didn't get going based off the stats that I took a look at and the highlights I saw. But nobody saw Calvin really having 146 yards and three touchdowns. That's what the Falcons drafted him for, though. Uh, Cal- Calvin Ridley is an amazing talent that came out of Alabama, and that's what they really drafted him for. My question is, is what's happening between Matt Ryan and Julio Jones? Julio Jones still yet to 
get to get to the end zone. What's what's going on there? That's that's crazy. Yeah, I think uh, Julio though he seems like a team guy when it's all said and done though. And if the you know obviously this was a small setback, but if this team's winning. I don't think you're going to hear much out of Julio Jones, but he needs to have more. I mean, he did have 96 yards receiving on five catches. That's almost 20 yards a pop. Um, but yeah, but like you said, you know, he's not getting in the end zone. And that's kind of been a trend the last few seasons for Julio Jones. Yeah. The, he, yards upon yards upon yards. But once they get inside their red zone, it's like they look away from him. Yeah. He's a six foot three talent like Des Bryant. And he should be looked at two in the red zone way more than he really is. And it's crazy. The, the stats are a little bit deceiving. And this is what I saw the first night of football that the Eagles did with the Falcons was they played a lot of prevent defense against Julio. They said, go ahead and catch the ball. We'll come tackle you. We're not going to let you beat us deep. And that's what a lot of teams have been doing is just letting Julio get his yards, but not letting him get in the end zone. That's a smart way to look at it, though, because if you can keep one of the top three receivers in the league out of the end zone more times than you don't, it ultimately is going to help your success rate in beating that very talented Falcons offense. Sure, and and that's what they didn't do with Calvin Ridley. They underestimated the rookie, rookie and, and his vertical uh, threat possibilities. So for me, that's why he got as many yards as he did and scored as many touchdowns. That's not going to happen again. They're probably going to end up doing the same exact thing they do to Julio Jones. And, and playing five to ten yards off them, letting them get their yards, making the tackles, and basically making Matt Ryan either fit it in or make Tevin Coleman beat him at this point. Right. And don't forget, you also have Muhammad Sanu on that team as well, who you have to kind of look out for. So there's a lot of weapons there, you know, and I think that's another reason, too, maybe he's not getting in the end zone as much as Matt Ryan has more than one guy he can depend sure, on in the red absolutely. zone to get into the end zone, and that's a wonderful problem to have. Absolutely. But you still got to get your superstar his as well. They be- they have the best vertical threats in the league, and they, they should do better. And, I mean, these two played to to basically a shootout, barn burner, Big 12-style football. So and, and the reason why is because they both teams have those vertical threat receivers that you really can't stop. Right. Uh, Chiefs, my gosh, Patrick Mahomes, you are white – Hot. I don't think you could be any hotter right now. Three more touchdown passes, no turnovers. Best start in NFL history. 13 touchdown passes in three games. And he's got weapon upon weapon upon weapon to throw to. Feel bad. Shout out to my boy Kyle Juszczyk, Cloverleaf grad. They lose their starter, Jimmy Garoppolo, with an ACL tear. Yeah, and, and this is why they're looking right now. That's, that's, a, that's a real bummer for the 49ers because they felt like they had their man in Jimmy Garoppolo. They really did. I still think they do have them, and you know, I did pick the 49ers to kind of win that division. Mm-hmm. Now that that's not going to happen. Let's be mm-hmm. let's be honest, because you know the backup there is not going to put up Jimmy Garoppolo style numbers, um, and the defense for the 49ers hasn't really figured anything out yet either. They gave up 38 points to the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are a pretty darn good offense as well. Uh, but I just can't say enough about Pat Mahomes, the way Andy Reid coached his kid up. The offense they put him in, you've got Travis Kelsey, you've got Tyreek Evan, you have uh, Kareem Hunt. My Sammy Watkins is on this team. Holy smokes. And who else do you have? Spencer Ware, two catches, 29 yards. Travis Kelsey, A for 114. The guy is just a, a, a beast. He is a, a man among boys when he's out there on that field. And, and it's like I said, if Patrick Mahomes can make these throws, he's going to have a good career. And he's got these weapons – uh, anybody wishes they could have these set of weapons. And, and all Patrick Mahomes has to do is get the ball to these guys. These are guys are all yards after catch threats, every single one of them. And Sammy Watkins is going to be your vertical threat. Who He's a tall, talented wide receiver who can catch the ball. You can put it anywhere for him, and he's going to catch it for you. Absolutely. Uh, moving on with a lot of games to get through here in week three. 
Carson Wentz returns from injury, beats the Colts 20 to 16. You know, kind of this was kind of a boring game for me to watch. Not a lot of offense. Wentz did look rusty, but he's a winner. He did enough to win the game. Um, the Colts just came up short at the end with a big sack on Andrew Luck from fourth down. Yeah, and and for me, I'm just not really sold. Every year that goes by, I'm just not really sold on Andrew Luck anymore. I I, I think they may need to look into another quarterback in the next draft or maybe the draft after that. I just I, I know he's a great talent. I just I you got to win. And he's not winning, and that that. But other than T.Y. Hilton, who does he have to throw to? I mean, he's got nobody. Chicken or egg? Chicken or egg? Right here. Who who makes who better? Do the receivers make you better, or does the quarterback make the receivers better? Well, I'll be honest with you. I didn't think he would put up the numbers that he's put up so far coming back from a serious shoulder injury. Sure. So I'm going to give him credit there, and I've got to give him at least this season to see what he can do, and even in the next year. Um, but I think by seven or eight games in, once he's had a chance to really test that shoulder, feel how it feels the next day, see where things are going, I think I still think Andrew Luck's a franchise guy. You don't get to the AFC title game, even though they got crushed. You don't get there by luck. The guy's got talent, and I know he can get the job. No done. pun intended. Um, in my opinion, he's just not winning enough for me. And he's not in that difficult of a division to me. And I think that the receivers are made by the quarterback. That's my honest opinion. And the reason why I think that is because you can't name all the receivers that Tom Brady has had, but you know Tom Brady got them to the Super Bowl. So – I, I'm, I'm my personal belief. I believe that Andrew Luck can make these receivers better if he was a better talent. All right, no, I, that that's extremely fair, and I really don't have anything to say other than Clay Matthews gets another roughing the passer penalty. Moving on. Oh my uh, god! You know, I've seen a lot of parody videos out there about what to do, and my favorite one was this chick hikes the ball. Mm-hmm. This guy runs up to her, sets a blanket down, picks her up puts her down on a pillow, and then goes to cover her up. The only thing missing, like I said in our video leading up to the show tonight, was a Dr. Seuss story. I mean, I don't know how Clay Matthews, and maybe it's just a reputation thing, but if the quarterback's not throwing the ball, how is it roughing the passer? I, I really He's tackling a ball carrier at that point. Alex Smith has the ball in his hands. You can't call roughing the passer on a guy who's got the ball in his hands. And – you already, you know, Miami loses one of their top defensive ends because he's trying to adhere yep. to this rule, yep. and he blows out his knee. If you have, and we'll get into this more, but Clay Matthews, I would consider him to be a top-level athlete in this league. And quite honestly, that was a garbage call. Um, Adrian Peterson still looks like he has a lot left in the tank and a lot left to prove, 120 yards rushing and a touchdown. Um, I thought Mark McCarthy was going to have a stroke on the sideline yelling at that official after the PI call. Um, Clay Matthews calls the league soft. I expect to see a fine for that. Um, Aaron Rodgers doesn't look like himself. That knee's still bugging him. All that results to a 31-17 Packer defeat at the hands of the Washington Redskins. What's crazy is because when you say Aaron Rodgers doesn't look like himself, man threw for 265, two touchdowns. And I agree with you. He doesn't. He had to work for those yards. It was it was claw scratch to get these yards. He wasn't making these crisp passes that he normally makes, and and you know looking comfortable like he normally does, standing in the pocket or with the with the you know counting the clock in his head. He didn't look that comfortable. So he did fought, fight claw and scratch for those yards. He had to throw forty four passes to even get that. So it's it's weird to think a man who threw for two sixty five with two touchdowns 
it didn't look normal, but you're right, TK. He didn't. He didn't look normal at all. He just doesn't have that mobility right now with his knee. But you saw what happens if you bring in Deshaun Kaiser. You can't throw away a season that quickly. And that's nothing against Deshaun Kaiser. I think he's just. I think right now the kid's confidence is shot. He lost a lot of games here last year. He throws a pick six. Um, so you really have to rebuild him. Um, but I don't think the Packers are down and out. But I really, really, really think that the NFL, and we'll talk about it more in a minute, needs to really look at that roughing the passer uh, penalty. Um, and I don't think Washington's as good as our 2-1-1 record shows, and I don't think the Packers are as bad as 1-1-1. Um, but it looks like, you know, Washington, you score 28 points in the first half, you can kind of coast to victory when you hold the other team to 10 points. Yeah, Washington has had two good beats uh, out of three these these past couple games. So I, I agree with you. I don't I don't think they look as – I don't think they're going to be as good as their, their early start suggests. You know, I think if you look at the two wins that the Redskins have, I was kind of looking at the stats – Versus the one loss, Adrian Peterson had big games in the two wins and was very pedestrian in the losses. So, you know, I know that Adrian Peterson's up there, and we've talked about Alex Smith. He's a good game manager. He can he can certainly get you to the point to win the game. But this team will ultimately go as Adrian Peterson goes. If he has a good game, they're going to have a chance to win. If he's pedestrian and not you not and he's taken out of the game and he's not effective, they're going to have a tough time winning games. Yeah, it appears that way. It appears that Adrian Peterson is going to be the catalyst for the wins and. Teams are going to pick up on that. They're going to start, you know, putting eight, nine men in the box so that Adrian Peterson uh, can't beat them. And Alex Smith is going to have to find more people than just Vernon Davis all game to to win the games. Right. And, you know, Jordan Reed, you can't count on him to be healthy. Jamison Crowder, I mean, come on. Last year, Jamison Crowder got me so many points in fantasy football with Kirk Cousins. You telling me that you bring in a guy similar to Kirk Cousins, I think Alex Smith can throw the ball almost as well as Kirk Cousins. Absolutely. And the guy only has four for 39. Yeah, he scored a touchdown. But come on, Jamison Crowder, you have to step up. You are the best receiver on that team. Yeah, and Josh Doxson, nowhere to be found in this game. I mean, he was on the field, but they didn't even throw to him. And – that's that's not a good sign either because no. he's one of the better receivers on the team as well. Bengals lose A.J. Green. Dalton throws four picks. Cam Newton gets four total touchdowns, two rushing, two passing. Panthers win 31-21. Kind of thought I saw that coming a mile away. Bengals are who we thought they were. That last game was a fluke. Uh, you know, A.J. Green, great talent, always a great talent, but I, I just don't believe in Andy Dalton at all. I, he's not – He's not also one of the people that is not a franchise quarterback to me. He is who he has to be with the Bengals because they don't got anybody else. Right. Um, so he's there for, you know, filling in that spot for them. He threw for 352, had two touchdowns, but he had to throw for 352 because they were down the whole entire game. Right. So, and until he wins a playoff game, until Marvin Lewis wins a playoff game, you know, to me, you're nothing more than just a guy who should have been fired a long time ago and just, you know, your game managing bridge quarterback. Boy, the Titans and the Jaguars really had a barn burner. 9-6 Titans. Titans lose Blaine Gabbard early. Have to bring in an injured Marcus Mariota, who's still having very big problems with his elbow, with his nerves, has some tingling in his hands. Um, both teams under 240 yards total offense. But I really think that this was a very bad loss for Jacksonville after the way they played the Patriots the week before. You know, I kind of expected a low-scoring game because both defenses are clicking on all cylinders. It would be how I would feel if Jacksonville played us while we still had Tyrod in there. I think it would be a low-scoring game like this as well. Um, it is a bad loss when people thought you were the coup de grace in that, di that division now. They were, they were the team to beat, and now they got beat. It's Miami that's the team to beat, which I don't 
think I think they're pretenders right now as well. They'll probably most likely be second behind the Patriots, but Jacksonville was going to be clicking on all cylinders if they'd have just won this game, and they should beat the Titans because you should beat the teams you're supposed to and play your best against the teams you should lose to. And losing this game hurts. I mean, Mario to throw for threw for a hundred yards. The guy can't he can't throw the ball downfield because he, his elbow is shot right now, and I don't know how he's going to handle the rest of the season. You know, Mike Vrabel, the credit to him, they're two and one. But I'd have to say that's a very flaky two and one. I don't expect this team to pick up, keep up the winning as much as they as no, they are now. Yeah, I don't think so either. Got to give credit to Joe Flacco playing very well, uh, especially the last few weeks. Even though they lost to the Bengals, I still thought he had a solid game. Ravens hold Denver under 300 total yards, beating the Broncos 27 to 14. Case Keenum struggled most of the day. The game was tied at 14, and then the Ravens ended up scoring the final 13 points in that football game uh, to win it. Um, you know, no, it was never tied at 14. My apologies. It was 14-10 after one, and then that was it. They never scored again. Uh, Case Keenum, I think we're starting to see Case Keenum is the Case Keenum we thought he was going to be most of his career. He had a, he had a career year last year. Props to him. I give Elway credit for trying to get some more lightning out of that bottle, and he's certainly better than what Trevor Simeon would bring to the table, even Brock Osweiler brings to the table. Um, but this team is going to go as far as their defense can take them. Now, here's my thought when we talked about trade bait. This is the team I thought we would have trade bait with. I think Tyrod would look mighty nice to, to Denver right now um, because Tyrod's manageable. He's definitely better than Case Keenum. So look for Denver Broncos to you know probably pick up the phone and call John Dorsey and say, hey, what's Tyrod thinking? You want to come play for us? And, and we could possibly – get some good trades for uh, Tyrod. Yeah, but Tyrod Taylor doesn't throw the ball downfield. You've got, you know, guys like Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas who are downfield threats, and if he's not willing to throw the ball downfield, why are you bringing in a guy? At least Case Keenum is willing to put the ball downfield every once in a while. Yeah, but Case Keenum isn't isn't as accurate, and you you need someone who's going to at least manage the game and keep you in it. You can't afford turnovers. You can't right. afford not to score the rest of the game. Um, so I, I think Tyrod could come in and – it, what do you have to lose? You have Case Keenum right now, and it's it's surprising that Denver Broncos have struggled with John Elway in the in in the front office, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all, all time. It's surprising that they're struggling to find their another franchise quarterback after Peyton. Right. Uh, moving on to the Texans, man, that seat is hot down there in Texas for Bill <laughs> O'Brien. My goodness, Eli Manning, twenty five of twenty nine, two ninety seven. You waste a 385-yard day from Deshaun Watson. Texan running backs, 14 carries, 23 yards. Is Bill O'Brien done? Half of the season, I think he's gone. Uh, you half or after? No, I should say half. Halfway uh, through? Yeah, halfway through, there, he's gone. There's just too much talent there. There's no excuse There's for this none. team to be 0-3. I'll give him week one with Deshaun Watson coming back. But if that guy's going to put up 385, throw, you know, get Will Fuller involved for 101. DeAndre Hopkins, 86 yards. Uh, Lamar Miller had 40 yards receiving. You know, your quarterback can't be your leading rusher and have a hope to win a football game consistently. Yeah, and and Deshaun Watson is a great talent, and he deserves better than what he's getting right now. I, I think O'Brien is gone half the season because this is unacceptable. You, an 0-3 start is unacceptable when you had a subpar season last season. Mind you, I understand your, your franchise quarterback went down, but at the end of the day, you you got your franchise quarterback back, and he's clicking on all cylinders, and you're still on three. Yeah, it's not looking good. No, not looking good for him. Boy, I tell you, Rams were better in all three phases in the Battle of L.A. They're racing out to their 3-0 and start. 
Um, I think it was a pretty convincing 35-23 win. Seems like every time the Chargers would get within seven, the Rams had an answer to get back up by 14. Um, San Diego, are they ever going to take that next step? I thought they would. But I didn't think that this team, as talented as they were, would start one and two. And I never believe in San Francisco. This is why. You mean San Diego? San Diego. I no, they're L.A. They're L.A. Chargers. They're Charger. L.A. Chargers. Man, we don't even know where they're at. But but the thing about the Los Angeles Chargers is why Phillip Rivers is my favorite fantasy quarterback to pick. Because they're always behind. There's not a time where I can remember Phillip Rivers is ahead. So he ends up throwing for ridiculous yardage because they're always behind. It's impossible to turn the corner when you start games behind all the time. Yeah, Joey Boza being out for eight weeks doesn't help. Todd Gurley rushes for 105 yards and a TD. Um, right now the Rams are the best team in the, AF- in the NFC, and I don't think anyone's stopping them anytime soon. Yeah, I think we're, we're looking at them contending against the Vikings at the end of the day. And right now I give the edge to the Rams. Uh, they're looking like a Super Bowl caliber team. Caliber team. And this is what they did in the offseason to make their team better. Basically make the moves to basically say Super Bowl or bust. That's what it was. If they don't go to the Super Bowl, in fact, if they don't win the Super Bowl, it was a bad season for them. Regardless of the end of the record, if they don't make it, what did they do? Disappointing year, exactly. Cardinals start off with 14 first quarter points. Sam Bradford looks good early. Ends up having three turnovers, one late in the game, deep in Bears territory. Benched in favor of rookie Josh Allen. Mm. Bears win a close game, 16-14. My question to you, Jay, is it fair to put Rosen in that position? No, and this is why Deshaun Kaiser has struggled, because you you make a snap decision because the fans are telling you to bring him in and everything like that. This is is not a good sign for the, the Cardinals. It's not fair for Rosen at all to put him in that situation. And it, it was an ill-advised move, in my opinion. Let Sam Bradford finish the game, reevaluate during the week, and let Josh Rosen come in fresh. Right. Four minutes left. You're down by two points. That's a tough spot to put a kid in who hasn't taken his first snap yet. And if that would Hugh Jackson and Baker Mayfield, I would have said the same thing. Absolutely. I feel bad for Larry Fitzgerald, Hall of Fame career, and the guy just you can't seem to get back to that Super Bowl. And the one thing that really stuck out to me is that the Arizona had – 48 snaps on offense all day. You can't win. That's 12 snaps a quarter. That's two or three drives per quarter. That's not enough. Your defense is way too exposed. And credit to that defense for sacking up and only allowing 16 points. But, man, Sam Bradford just didn't get the job done. And I really thought he would play much better out there in Arizona. In my opinion, the Bears, you know what, if it weren't for the Bears, the Browns, would, to me, would have the number one defense in the league. Um, behind the Bears, but it's right now we're behind the Bears. They are they are nasty. They they allowed 14 points and then they adjusted. No more points allowed the rest of the game, and that's why I felt it was unfair to put Rosen in that situation because you bring him into a lethargic offense who have basically moved on to Week Four, right? And you put him in there and say, "Go out there and be somebody, kid." And it's just like the, these guys are coming out there and walking in the huddle, like, "Yeah, whatever, man, call the play." Especially against that defense, absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. a great way to get your franchise quarterback <laughs> killed. His first right. first time out with Khalil Mack. Sure. I tell you what, you know they build this game as America's game of the week. Cowboys in Seattle. Fast. You know, I actually wrote that down, Jay. I swear to goodness, I'm reading my notes here from the game. Cowboys hapless on offense, waste 20, 127 on the yard from Zeke. Fall to Seattle in a snooze fest, 24-13. That was, for, that was for my notes. Are either team any good? No. All right, moving oh, on. Yeah, dumpster <laughs> fire. All right. Steelers use a mistake-ridden second quarter by the Buccaneers. 
to score 24 points, 30 and a half altogether. They beat another 400-yard game from Fitzmagic and hand the Bucks their first loss in a 30-27 to game. Lots of penalties, lots of penalties, lots of penalties. But my question is, who starts for the Bucks this week? I, I got to go with Fitzmagic. You got to go with your hot hand. Why would you bench a guy who's thrown for an average of 350 in three weeks? No, 400. He's got over 1,200 yards. He's three first three games all over 400 yards. Okay, well, then you can't bench a guy like that. No. Especially for that fool, uh, famous Jameis. Uh, get him out of here. I, I I think he's the backup. I, I understand he he was toted at, uh, touted as your franchise quarterback, but 400 yards each week, and it's not against some slouches. No. <laughs> not at all. You know, he's been killing the game. So why would you even think to put a guy who hasn't, hasn't even played a game in three seasons, hasn't even maybe haven't even worked out, over a guy who's literally throwing you 400 yards a game, three touchdowns a game, and – and, and his passer rating is outrageous. Why would you even think to go to Jameis Winston? Yeah, like, one of those picks, you know, got tipped at the line of scrimmage, went a mile in the air and got picked off. Yeah. Other than that, you know, three touchdowns, two picks, and, you know, you have to, you know, they were down by 20, so he came out throwing. Didn't make a lot of mistakes in the second half. Yeah, I'm riding that hot hand. They say they know who's starting. They're not going to tell us. I would be shocked if Jameis Winston plays on Sunday, other than if Fitzpatrick really struggling or he gets hurt. Fitzpatrick, man, he had me on the edge of my seat. And I, I, he, I had him in a fantasy league, and I was playing against him in a fantasy league. What kind of mess is that? And and I needed him to have the perfect ratio for me to win both games. And, of course, he killed it. So I won it in one league and, and got obliterated in another one. Thank you, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. So – I, I gotta go with the guy. I gotta go with the hot guy. You would be a you'd be a fool not to. And right. and that's how I really feel about that. And and I'm looking at the Tampa Bay right now. They allowed 24 points in the second second quarter and couldn't recover from that. No. And, and it's and tough I, to give up 24 in a quarter and, and recover from that. Exactly. Game, yeah. And I don't feel the Steelers are that great of a team. Uh, so you know they they had a bad quarter and. You know, Fitzmagic kept him in the game. He kept driving the ball, and they just couldn't capitalize. They just needed one more touchdown somewhere, right. and they would have won the game. You right. know? They had they getting three points at the end of the first half. I think really cost them in this game. That, that, that touchdown at that point really changes the outlook. Uh, last game on the docket, uh, kind of segueing into uh, keys to the game for Browns Raiders. Raiders blow another fourth quarter lead. Jay lose by eight to a surprising three and zero Dolphin team. Raiders have been outscored 37 to 3 in the fourth quarter so far this season. So Chucky's return, the hundred million dollar man. Not looking so hot right now. Yeah, and and I won't I won't say anything hot seat wise against him, but this no. is another this is another situation where you have a decent quarterback, you have decent weapons on the field. They should be doing a lot better than they are. They need to figure it out and figure it out soon. Right. Uh, you know. Tanny Hill, 17-23, 289, three touchdowns, no interceptions, very efficient. Carr throws for 345, one touchdown, two picks. Raiders 0-3, can't close out games. Um, and Carr, very, very suspect to the turnover. Five picks in three games coming into a game against the Browns defense that has 11 turnovers. The Browns have to be favored to win this game. And let's segue into the uh, the keys to the Browns and Raiders because I wrote down a few. Um, Raiders – uh, offer no good pass rush. You know, John Gruden says, um, you know, it's hard to find a good pass rusher. Hello, I John. Where they could have gotten um, a pass rusher? From. I have two words for you, Khalil Mack. I wonder, you idiot. Hmm. I wonder if they just had a traded for a 
pass rusher. I wonder where they'd be now. Oh, my gosh. So I think Baker's going to have plenty of time to throw the football, which I think is going to be good. The Raiders are giving up 302 yards a game in the air, 116 on the ground. It's a great time for the Browns to be coming into town, getting that running game on track. Um, Baker's going to have plenty of time to throw because I think they're going to be able to effectively run the football. They're not going to be able to stack that box. It's going to open a lot of things up for Todd Haley and his offense. I think you're actually going to see the Browns playbook open up a little bit more now that, quite honestly, Todd Haley has the guy in there he's wanted since day one. Um, I really think the Browns offense is going to put up a, a really, really nice day on Sunday. Look for us to go out there and steal one. And I say we should, we, even if we are the the favorites when we go out there, we're still the underdogs going out to, to Oakland. I mean, that place is tough to play in for any football team, especially for a rookie quarterback and our, and basically our, our young defense is going to be tough, but I feel like we have the keys right now to, to make it happen. We've got the defense that can slow Derek Carr down. Uh, Marshawn Lynch is going to be a little bit more of a challenge because I mean, we, you saw what Bilal Powell and Isaiah Crow were able to do. So Marshawn Lynch is and Doug Martin are, may have a day, but I think he's got three rushing touchdowns already. Marshawn's got three rushing touchdowns already for the first three games. So you definitely have to keep him in check. Mm -hmm. uh, Carlos Hyde averaged 4.3 yards per carry last game. So you need to get that big man going. And I'm going to say it again. We got to get Duke Johnson going in the passing game. There's, they've got to find a way to get this man involved because when the ball's in his hands, good things always happen. And I think we will. Baker Mayfield has the capability to do that. It's all, we saw it. He could spread the ball around. I think Duke Johnson is going to have a significant game coming into week four. So in my opinion, the really keys to me is going to be stopping the run for Oakland and making Derek Carr beat us. And we have the tools on the outside on our defensive backs and, and our skill players to play one-on-one -on -one defense against Jordy Nelson, which he had an amazing game. We're going to have to shut him down as well. I feel like we, we have the advantage on the offense D and I think if Baker can just connect here or there, we should be just fine out in Oakland. And until Amari Cooper shows up this season, I'm going to write him off as MIA. Um, another guy that you have to keep your eyes on that can really hurt you. Um, the Packers know this. Um, a lot of other teams have seen it. Derek Carr loves Jared Cook. Jared Cook gets open in big spots, gets big, huge gains, gets up lots of yards. He's a great pass-catching tight end. That is a weapon that they have to keep in check. Yeah, and they also have a secret weapon in Martavius Bryant. I mean, you know, we all know him and very well as a, a former Steeler. He may have some keys for us. Uh, keys for Oakland to help uh, help them pass the Browns. I don't think it's gonna it's gonna matter too much, but he does have some insight because he played the Browns a lot. Right. Um, I think this is gonna be a uh, close scoring game. I think the trend's going to continue though. Um, I have the Browns winning this one, uh, 27-23 out there in Oakland. Yeah, I, I think we'll get them, and it will be a by a touchdown, and it will be late. It will be very late. It will be two minutes left. We'll, we'll go up on them, and it will be the exact same way we beat the Jets. We'll get a, a huge turnover because Derek Carr is not going to – he's going to have too much weight on his shoulders against that vaunted D right now. Right. I look for uh, our defensive line just to have a huge day. I think Miles Garrett is going to feast on, on this uh, on this offensive line of the Raiders. Um, but, yeah, as long as the Browns can keep Marshawn Lynch in check, Baker Mayfield doesn't make a lot of mistakes, keep an eye on Jordy Nelson and Jared Cook. Browns, I think – they're coming back two one and one, and they're going to be in the thick of this. Yeah, absolutely. And and look for Miles Garrett and Ogunjobi to to eat. They're they're really going to eat this game, especially once Raiders get down and you know Derek Carr has to drop back a lot. They're going to just pin their ears back and they're going to they're going to tear them up. 
Looking forward to a Browns win. And if the Browns win, we'll get round two of the TK Stone Cold Bash. <laughs> Go Browns. Once again, if you guys want to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. Download that Anchor app and leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the Browns, sports, geek, whatever you're, whatever it is, we want to hear about it. This is your show just as much as it is ours. I'm, I'm very avid at interacting, especially on Twitter. I will talk to you if you say something to me. I'm not much of a fighter on Twitter, but I will interact with you. So please, please reach out to us, especially the, the TK and J show handle. That is, is something I like to interact with a lot. I share it a lot. Interact with us. We want to hear from you, and I want to I want to talk to you guys. Absolutely. We want to put some names behind the faces of uh, – or some faces with the names, I should say, of people listening to us. We're on Twitter at J underscore TK. You can find us on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to my new friend, Jack McCurry, at J-M-C Curry, C-L-E, on Twitter. He hosts the uh, 1085 Gridiron podcast. It's a Cleveland Browns podcast. He also writes for uh, the northcoastsports.com. Uh, but you can also find the podcast on Twitter at uh, 1085 Gridiron. That's uh, a great show. I had a chance to listen to a few minutes today. I can't wait to listen to more later on tonight and tomorrow. Um, they're on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. So shout out to those guys. Anytime you guys want to come on our show, you have an open forum. We'd love to have you on. Talk some Browns football with you and continued success. They're on episode 77 of their podcast already. We yeah, we look to get there one day. Yeah. Um, shout out, uh, props to you guys, absolutely. So yeah, thanks for your guys' support. Thanks for your love, and well, we do appreciate it. And I can't wait to hear more of your guys' show and uh, just kind of find listen to ways that make you guys successful. Maybe we can uh, rip off some ideas. I mean, I mean, learn from you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into uh, some tribe talk. Pretty good week for the tribe out there this past week. Um, I'm at a point in this season where I could care less about wins and losses. It's the last week of the regular season. Just get me to the playoffs. But for the first time in the history of baseball, Jay, the first time, four starting pitchers, 200-plus strikeouts. Don't you love when these things happen in Cleveland? Uh, you know, our our just humble, blue-collar town. When these things happen to us, it's such a blessing. I love, I love it that our team is – is clicking on all cylinders like that. I love that we have four guys on our team that arguably could be in the Cy Young conversation, you know, if it wasn't for guys like Scherzer and, and everything like that, you know, out there. We, we could have them in that conversation. And, and I love that what we're doing right now, we're going to be clicking on all cylinders. And I love that because when we go into the playoffs, we're going to have the best pitching staff in baseball, especially in, on the AL side. So. Yeah, there's no uh, team, I think, that can touch us as far as pitching goes. Um, I know that uh, Buster only picked you know, the top four you know, teams in the AL going into the postseason. And surprise, surprise, the Indians were number one. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One, our pitching staff. Absolutely. Two, everybody's getting healthy at the right time. Josh Donaldson looks better and better every time out. Miller's come back into form. Cody Allen has found himself again. Trevor Bauer has looked strong coming back from his injury. Everything is coming together at the right time, kind of like it did back in 1997 when I mentioned that a few weeks ago. Um, but why this is different is because of our pitching staff right now. We, the two years we went to the World Series previous to this last one, we had the bats. We have that now. We still have the bats. We had that in 2016. We have the pitching now. 
And that's and what makes us scary. All of our scary. arms are healthy. Exactly. Yes. We're scary because our bullpen's clicking, and we have four guys, which we only need four in a rotation, that have 200-plus strikeouts. That's not going to change when they get to the playoffs. No. Pitching beats great uh, great hitters. It, it happened to us in the 95 World Series. So this is why I'm excited for our team. And this is why Buster only picked us to be number one because we have a murderer's row of seven hitters that it's going to be tough to get through. And we have the the four pitchers that are going to get us to what is our now strong and healthy bullpen. Right. And you only need five or six innings. And, you know, for crying out loud, you almost won the World Series in 2016 with Corey, a healthy Corey Kluber and Andrew Miller and Cody Allen. Yeah, Brian Shaw helped a little bit, but that was pretty much it. Yeah, Josh Tomlin had a couple of good games, but, you know, those three guys pretty much almost threw you to a World Series back in 2016. So now that you've got four healthy starters going into the postseason and another two who have started for you that can come out of the bullpen, scary. Very scary. Congratulations, Corey Kluber, win number 20. First time in his career. First time an Indian starter has gotten to 20 wins since Cliff Lee had 22 back in 2008. Man, long. That's, it was that long ago. Man, yeah. Cliff Lee. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm really excited. I just – I can't – I'm grinning ear to ear because we have we have a good team right now in the Browns and we have a great team in the Indians. It's, it's literally overshadowing everything that happened to us with the Cavaliers in the offseason. So I'm so excited about the, what, the, what is happening. There's a team the – that plays across the street from the Indians. I, I you know, I, I kind of love Kevin Love and Larry Nance Jr. Don't get me wrong. They're both really good dudes. Larry gently and Samir. But I just, if you're looking for NBA talk on the TK and Jay show. It's not going to happen. I mean, Jay can pre-record anything he wants on the NBA and I'll throw it in the show. But you won't hear me talk about it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really excited to watch the NBA. This is why I'm excited that the Cleveland Indians are clicking on all cylinders. And Corey Kluber is at the head of our boat right now, basically leading the charge. He looked good the other night. He really did. He and you good. know what also looked good? To see Corey Kluber take it to the seventh and then us pass off the ball to Andrew Miller. And then we go to the closer. And and that's game. Ball game. That's your game. That's that's That was what won us those games in the World Series. We won those three games basically on that formula, and we just couldn't finish. Right. This season, we have the health to finish. Bauer, credit to Trevor, came out 35 pitches in his first uh, start coming back. He knew that's all he was going to do. Came out last night through 65 pitches, mm-hmm. five innings, mm-hmm. no runs, no earned runs. He did give up two, but he there was two, two. But there was an error, two errors that should have happened. That's why he gave up two, but no earned runs. Um, I think he picked up right where he left off. He walked a couple guys. Control not maybe 100% there, but it's not something I'm worried about going into the postseason. But if you believe in linear – uh, uh, you know, linear progression from one game to the next, he's gotten better. So next game, we look to see him. I think Sunday is his next start. They're not sure if they're going to pitch him or not yet. That's still up in the air. I heard Carrasco might start that game now today. So we'll see. That's fine. I, w- I would like to see him. Uh, you know, I'd like to see Bauer pitch that though, to get ready for the postseason because, you know, next Friday, I think we on the, no, it's October 5th is when the ALDS starts. I would like to see Bauer get some time, get some live at-bats in, rather than just bullpen sessions so that he's ready to go for the playoffs. So A week from Friday, you're right, we start. Exactly. So so here's a five-day stretch, and I, ha- I, can't, I have to give credit where credit is due, and I try not to listen to him, but there's a certain show that I try not to listen to. And I was driving home with the dog, and it was on, and I was, you know, he made, they made a good point. Next 
Friday and Saturday, you have the Indians. And obviously, you have Ohio State on Saturday. Yeah. And then you have the Browns on Sunday. Right. And then you have the Indians at home Monday and Tuesday. Right. Five days. Right. Of just balls to the wall, sports, sporting events that are going to have my fingernails are going to be down to like the, the, you know, the what, cuticles or whatever the heck they're called on my hand because I'm going to be chewing through and watching these playoff baseball games. Yeah, it's going to be a tough weekend. Uh, I, I have that same schedule except for I won't be watching the Ohio State game. I actually probably do. I do watch Ohio State over there, and that's, that's a little-known fact about everybody. I do watch them, but I watch them to hate. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can't do a lot of hating right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I actually watch Ohio State. I, I'm in, I have a vested interest in them, but uh, that weekend is a sports sports Northeast Ohio sportsman's dream. Can't wait for it. It's it's going to be a tough weekend for all wives. Yeah, um, we will return back to you guys on Wednesday. Well, actually, no, you and I won't be returning Wednesday to our wives. It'll be that Thursday of the following week because we got our podcast to talk about. I've been looking for a substitute husband everywhere. I just, I, I, <laughs> if Craigslist still existed, I'd be in the one ad saying, hey, uh, my wife needs somebody for these days. I'm going to be gone. Companionship only. Yeah, companionship <laughs> only. <laughs> So, Jay, you know, one thing that kind of stuck out to me, I was watching the Indians game last night, and uh, Underpants, as I call him, Eddie Underpants, made a uh, reference. Him and Manning were talking. Jose Ramirez is hitting 165 in September, 274 overall in the season. Yes, he's had a monster season, but are his struggles in September something that have you concerned heading into the Absolutely. Um, and if you go back to the, the two, previous pre, uh, two previous playoffs, Lindor and Ramirez got cold around this time, and they can proceeded to be cold in the playoffs. They are the cogs that make this machine run. While we are still good at piecing hits together here and there, you need your leadoff hitter setting the table because Michael Brantley is a great, one of the best two hitters you will ever see in the game. We need Lindor on for either Michael Brantley to get that RBI or to move Lindor to second or third. We need Ramirez to be that our third hitter and be that threat because he's the one who protects Michael Brantley. And this is why Michael Brantley is as good as he is because, you know, Ramirez protects him. And if you walk or you walk, pitch around Michael Brantley, you got to deal with Ramirez. But lately it hasn't been that way. And that's why we've struggled a little bit because the top three hitters don't have any protection right, right. now. Um, it's a concern for me as well for a lot of the reasons that you said. I think his swing's gotten a little too long. And for whatever reason, I think he's trying to do a little too much. Um, and I don't know why, because there's, like you said, we have a murderer's row of our top seven, eight guys mm -hmm. in the lineup. Um, so as much as I want him to hit his way out of it, I think maybe the next couple of days, you just sit him. Hey, enjoy the game. Yeah, let him en rest. Enjoy this next yeah. couple of days. Maybe the last, you know, first two games this weekend you have him play on Sunday. None of the regular nine should be in the game. None of them. Sit them, watch them. Let's get ready for next Friday. And and my and my opinion is get get back in the, in the the cages and figure yourself out for the playoffs. That's what I feel. You start watching some tape on yourself, figure out where the holes are, get with your hitting coach, get ready for the postseason so that we, essentially we'd be ready so that you don't go through this cold spell trying to figure out in the playoffs because that's the wrong time to do it. Right. Andrew Miller, I think, looks as close to 100% as he's possibly going to get. His fastball's got some zip. His breaking balls are moving. His slider is striking people out. It's moving all over the place how we want it to. Um, probably one of the biggest keys to our bullpen is finally himself at just the right time. Yeah, and, and again, 
usually the teams that win the playoffs, uh, usually they're hot uh, going in. And Andrew Miller is on fire right now. He is the old the the old Andrew Miller, and I'm enjoying every minute of that. Speaking of guys who are on fire, we were kind of uh, blistering Cody Allen. His ERA had swelled up to 4.95, and I was just like, man, Cody, what's going on? You said, Cody, what was going on? I kind of mentioned, you know, hey, maybe he doesn't, no, he doesn't have the weight of that bullpen on his shoulders anymore. Uh, he can settle down to be Cody Allen. Last 10 outings, no run runs. ERA, 3.99. Highest that he's had since he became our closer. However, going into the playoffs, looking as good as he has, at least striking out a batter or two every time he's been out there, Cody Allen's back. And, and that's a great weapon. That is have. a great weapon. And, again, we only need six innings. You hand the ball to Cody, you hand the ball to Andrew, then you hand the ball to Han. That's that's how we're going to do it, and that's how we're going we're gonna, to – it's going to be flawless doing right. this. And then you also have uh, Oliver Perez if you need to get a guy or two out. That guy has been lights out, .80 ERA for the Indians this year. He saved that bullpen when Cody Allen started to struggle. I cannot wait to see what he does in the and, postseason. And the crazy part about it is there's, there's a short leash. You can have a short leash for your starters. Uh, we gave out two or three runs. Man, we're just – we're just going to go to the bullpen. Right. Screw it, you know. So, speaking of playoffs, and we got the, you know, we're going to be playing the Houston Astros in the first round of the playoffs. That's a foregone conclusion. I went ahead today this morning. I had to go into work early. There was issues that we had to, to deal with. Nothing I did. It was, you know, we had to do some computer parts and stuff. So, I sat there and I was like, well, I can't do anything right now. It's 730 in the morning. I'm not calling any customers. I'm not doing any work. I'm going to look at the Indians roster and write something down for Jay to rip up at me when we when we talk about it. <laughs> so I went under the assumption that the Indians are going to go with 14 position players and 11 pitchers. Okay. Um, so obviously you got your regulars, Lindor, Brantley, Ramirez, Encarnacion, Gomes, Donaldson, Kipnis, Perez, Geyer, Cabrera, Davis, Diaz, Yandy Diaz, Eric Gonzalez, and Allen. Okay. Those are my 14. Okay. Now for my pitchers, this is where we might have a little bit of a disagreement. Obviously, Kluber, Carrasco, Clevenger, Bauer, Bieber, Allen, Hand, Miller, Perez, Simber, and instead of Tomlin, I'm going with Tyler Olson. Tyler Olson's been pretty tough the last couple times out, and it's another left-hander in the bullpen. Yeah, I don't think I can I can really dispute that. Um, Tomlin has not really looked good. He's gotten better, but I don't think he's – Playoff ready. He's got an ERA of six and a half. Yeah. You can't have a guy with an ERA of six and a half. He's, I mean, yeah, I know Olsen's ERA is a little bit balloon because he's been up and down all year, but he was also a big part of what we did last year. Didn't right. give up a run at all last year. Really starting to come into his own now that the September call-ups have come. He's a fresh arm. You know, if you're going to go with 11 pitchers, why not have that extra left-hander in the bullpen? Yeah, and you, you can never have too many left-handers. They're, they're a, a hot commodity. So – I think I can agree with that. I, I'm not. I'm not upset with Josh Tomlin being in there. He, it's. It's. If he was there, great. If he's not, great. So right. I think I can agree with pretty much everything that you you put out there. Um, my four man is still going to be Kluber, Carrasco, Clevenger, and Bauer. Um, Bieber, if if someone gets in trouble, um, or Plutko, if if anything. Right. But, uh, we we can keep them in the bullpen just in case there's a long relief possibility. They can stop the bleeding if anything go- like that happens. But yeah. Uh, definitely, I, I'm in agreement with you, and and I'm also in agreement with you know Kip starting in center field. Right. Uh, you know, I just want to apologize to Kip. Uh, I was very hard on you, but uh, you've uh, shown that your potential is why 
Terry Francona has you there and you, you have ca- capitalized on that potential. So uh, well done, Kip. Yeah, I got to apologize to you too, Kip. I'm, I'm kind of happy to see you. You know, I saw a stat since the All-Star break that you're hitting close to 300, especially in the last few months. And I know your overall season average is only 220-something. But, you know, come the end of the year, you still got close to 17, 18 home runs. You've driven in 75, 80 runs. It's kind of what the kind of the player you are. Would I like to see your average a little higher? Yes, but you're headed in the right direction going into the playoffs. And quite honestly, I think that uh, the TKNJ show uh, – props have gotten you back to where you need to be so we're taking all the credit and i don't care what anybody says yeah i'm definitely taking that credit you know while i feel that there's three unsung players on this team that that need to step up going into the playoffs i think kip needs to start he needs to be in the lineup and that that gives us a lot of depth in the in the uh, lineup that makes it very hard for us to pitch you that's why we need ramirez and lindor to get going because if they get going (laughs) we're blowing through these playoffs for sure right you know you know, and let's keep with the baseball talk. You know, we have the AL playoff picture set. You've got your division champions, the Tribe, the mm-hmm. Astros, and the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. You've got your wild card playoff, Yankees and Ace. Mm-hmm. Still up in the air as to where that game might be played. Right. It could either be, you know, out in Oakland or at Yankee Stadium. And wherever that game is, I think that changes the complexity of the wild card game. But in the National League, nothing set in stone yet. There is nothing set in stone in that National League. All those races are still very close. There's a lot of exciting baseball. You could have a playoff game for a division championship and then a playoff game to get to the playoff game and then the playoff game just to go to the division series. Right. And the surprise of the NL right now is the baby Braves who clinched. They were actually the only team that has clinched so far uh, in that that league, uh, the NL, the senior circuit. That's the shock because they were supposed to be on year two of rebuilding. Right. And here we are. They are the the NL East champions, which is which was a shock when people had the Phillies favored to win that league. Right, and the Phillies really cooled off in the second yes, half of did. the year. But there's always that one team, Jay, that kind of jumps up at you. You know, like last year, the Minnesota Twins. No one thought the Twins were going to be as yeah. good as they were. Braves this year. I mean, the Braves right now have a better record than the Indians do. They're 89 and 68, and we're 88 and 69. I still think the American League's tougher to play in than the National League. If we were a National League team, I think we'd be running away with things. Um, but you got Chicago, half game up on Milwaukee with with uh, five, five, four or five games left. Dodgers, one game up on Colorado with a couple with not too many games left. And then in the wild card, holy smokes. Milwaukee's got a three-and-a-half game lead. I think they're in. I don't think there's any way they don't get in the playoffs. But you've got Colorado and St. Louis both fighting and within a half game of each other for that final playoff spot. And I think the Dodgers should be a little bit disappointed in the season they had when they have the better team, especially monetarily-wise, they have the better team. They're paid a lot of money, and the Colorado Rockies shouldn't be contending with a team like that right now. But here they are, one game from actually being the NL West champions over the Dodgers. The Colorado Rockies had – had it in their grasp. They played the Dodgers last week, and they dropped the ball. They let the Dodgers take two out of three from them, and they if they'd have took that, they'd be NLS champions as we speak. I agree 100% with you there, but, you know, I think just like the Indians, they're getting healthy. They're getting right at the right time. Um, the Dodgers are a force to be reckoned with. I mean, I could see they could easily go to the World Series, and no one would bat an eye. You know, Clayton, Clayton Kershaw proved last year he can play and he can pitch in the postseason. Um, 
But, man, you're going to have in the AL, just looking at the American League, because, you know, a lot of these teams that are fighting for playoff spots in the National League have good records. But you have a Tampa Bay team who's 87-70 and 70, not going to the playoffs. They're 19-and-a-half out in their own division, and they're 17 above 500. You've got Seattle, 86-71, and 71, 15 games above 500, minus 37 run differential. They're not going to the postseason this year. And then you have Baltimore, 45 and 112, 61 and a half games out of first place. Are, are you guys even playing? Uh, are you guys even in the major leagues right now? I think you guys deserve to be demoted to minor league baseball. Just a terrible season for Buckshaw Walter and the mighty, mighty O's of Baltimore. Well, not so mighty this year. Uh, but we've got, I think, what's shaping up to be an epic postseason. I think the Indians and uh, Astros, and I'm not going to spoil too much of it. Because um, we'll obviously we'll get more into the Astros next week because we'll have the division series right on the right on the uh, on the toes of the weekend. Um, but I'm really looking forward to the Indians Astros. I'll tell you this: I think it's going to go five games, but I'll tell you more about more about it next week. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's going to be a dogfight, but in my personal opinion, whoever comes out of that series is going to be your World Series champions. Right. That is the definitely big the big series. Uh, uh, there, because like I agree with you, whoever wins that's gonna win the World Series. Yeah, absolutely. There's just there's just nobody that has the firepower between these two teams. It's a shame that this isn't the American League Championship game because that's what it is. Uh, you know, the Yankees do not have the horses. The uh, Athletics definitely don't have the horses to compete with either one of these teams head to head. So look for these teams to go far and deep into the World Series, if not win it. Yeah, and I think the Indians' record would have been much better this year, but we we fought through so many injuries, so and people say, you know, well, your division's terrible. Well, the Indians have no control over what the other teams around them do. They did what they were supposed to do. They went out and they won their division, and they're getting healthy at the right time. And the, I'm sorry, the Red Sox have blown 12 saves in the second half of the season. Granted, they've set a, a, a record for most wins in franchise history. However, this team's second half was not as good as their first half, and because they started so hot, all they really had to contend with was the New York Yankees and their division, but they had run away with that division, pretty much ran away and hit with it since the, the end of June. Um, so I think the Red Sox have come back to earth, and it's all about who's hot and who's the healthiest come playoff time. And right now, I'm taking my rose-colored glasses off. I thought our year was 2016. I thought we were going to win it. Um, this year, I'm telling you right now, this is our year. And next week, I'll tell you more about why. There's your cliffhanger. Yeah, and we we have the horses, like I've been saying, to win it. More so than the year when we went 2016. We're not playing with house money this time. We are the best team in baseball as we speak. So look for us to, to make a deep run. And if we don't, it's disappointing. All we're asking, Tribe, just finish these last five games healthy. We look forward to talking about Tribe and Astros next week, and by then we'll kind of know, we kind of know, we will know all the different first-round matchups, so we're really looking forward to breaking those down with you. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed our Tribe segment for this week. Go Tribe. Go Tribe. All right, guys, we're going to talk about uh, our top three sports stories of the week, uh, but just a little funny off-air story, kind of watching, uh, talking about some things that happened at work today. And we found a good old Stone Cold uh, CEO video when he was the CEO for a couple days. So if we ever get a live video, or, or not video, in live chat, and we do a live show and you call in, it's not going to be Welcome to the TK and J Show. It's going to be, who the hell is this? And what the hell do you want? <laughs> Classic Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, my goodness. 
<laughs> anyway, so Jay, top three sports stories this week. I think we kind of agreed talking about it. First one I want to talk about, Tiger freaking Woods, man. Wins his first PGA event in five years. Wins by two strokes, and I think to, it's safe to say that the competitive Tiger Woods, he's back. Yeah, and it's good to see him. I mean, you know, I absolutely believe that people can change, especially when you get older. You get older and mature, and I feel like Tiger was feeling figuring out who he was as he got older. Um, he stopped lifting heavy, which he was doing. I mean, I heard at one point the man could bench press 300 pounds, and his body just couldn't take what he was doing to himself physically. So – he adjusted. See, that's why I'm fat, Jay, because fat guys <laughs> like John Daly, I mean, we can golf, man. I don't need to lift weights to swing a club. The thing about the sport is, is it's not meant for you to, to be huge or athletic. It's a finesse game. This is why I suck at it. I mean, every time I see that little white ball, because I'm a baseball player, I try to hit it as hard as I can, and it only goes 20 yards off the tee. So maybe I need to relax and, you know, get out of the gym so that I can hit the ball further like you do. You know what it is? Honestly, this year I found, and it's God bless my father-in-law. He taught me this as well. The club will do so much of the work if you just let it. Keep your eye on the ball. Don't lift your head. Swing through. Follow through. And it's amazing. That club will hit that little ball so far if you just do it the right way. Yeah, and, and that's crazy because I watch you guys the times I've gone just effortlessly swing and hit this ball 250 easily and I'm sitting there thinking they didn't even swing it hard but every time I look at it I just go back to my baseball swing and when the baseball's coming at me I'm trying to kill it like every single time I'm that swinging. was the toughest thing I struggled with too I'm, I'm telling you it's it's hard to sit back especially with the ball sitting still you would think how does a baseball player miss something sit still I don't know either I, I couldn't tell you if you see the pictures that were on Twitter or on ESPN or even I I kind of caught the last you know few holes live just because I watch that kind of, you know, I watch golf, I can't help it. Especially if Tiger's playing well, you know, you're engaged. The following of human beings that were following this man around on that course was incredible those last few holes. There were people everywhere watching Tiger Woods. It's because it's it's about time the man was back to who he was. The golf and ESPN have wanted, wanted for so long for Tiger to be back to the Tiger of old. This is why we get updates when Tiger's still in 76th place going into Sunday. Like, we shouldn't hear about him. We should hear about who won. Right. But Tiger's still that beacon that makes golf go right now. And to see him return to grace and get a win is, is something that everyone is excited to see. Because no matter what he did in the past, we've forgiven him. And we want him to be the Michael Jordan of golf again. Right. It's still true. If Tiger's playing well and he's a Tiger of old, winning, making incredible shots, it's good for the game. It's good for golf. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But his following, it's unmatched. People will come by the tens of thousands to watch this man swing a club. I mean, he when when I look at the pictures of this man walking to the 18th green, it was like he's Bill Goldberg coming in for a World Wrestling Championship match. I mean, did you see that video on Twitter? Too, I that did. Somebody it was like, did? Oh it's, my like, it's a bunch of people following this guy you know, with the police officers walking behind him and you can almost feel in the back of your head, people saying tiger, tiger, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great scene because everybody wants this man to be great again. Right. And I'm, I'm happy to see him playing well, because like I said, it's good for golf. It's good for the future of the game. Uh, maybe Nike will start making some golf balls and golf clubs again. Now that tiger's playing well, 
Still kind of bitter about that, but it's okay. I'm a TaylorMade guy, so shout out to TaylorMade. Go ahead and send all your stuff my way. I will gladly use it, plug it, all that good stuff. I I, I see that uh, in a in a few short years we're going to see a return in uh, you know mostly Nike branding for for Tiger. So. Absolutely. Um, also, I want to throw some. Even though he's a National League pitcher, he's not on our team. Former Tiger, congrats to Max Scherzer, seventeenth pitcher in the history of the game to strike out three hundred batters in a season. He's also the oldest player in the modern era to strike out 300 in a season. 18-7, and 2.53 ERA, 300 strikeouts, and the Nationals are 500. Yeah, it's the Nationals are travesty. And wait, wait for this fire sale in the offseason because the Baltimore area of baseball right now, the greater Baltimore area of baseball is terrible. Right. And, and we're going we're gonna to see two teams in that area rebuilding. We're going to most likely see – a loss in attendance and and uh, the word I'm looking for escapes me, but we're going to lose the viewership oh, yeah. and interest is what I'm interest, looking for. Yeah, interest, yeah. That area is too busy to worry about losers, and and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean like the team is actually losing. Right. They're, they're, they're too busy for that, and and that's sad because we really want that area to, to do well. They, you know, Orioles are historic, and baseball was back in D.C., so – it, it's sad, but congrats to Matt Scherzer for, you know, still hanging in there and, and actually keeping the Washington Nationals 500. And relevant, right. Uh, but I think the thing that you and I both most wanted to talk about, uh, and I would say this is probably the biggest story of them all, um, everyone's talking about it. We got to throw our two cents in, too. And, Jay, I'm not sure where I start about this, this topic because I can't get too worked up. This is a family-friendly show. My wife is home from work. The dogs are roaming the house. I don't want to scare anybody. But the roughing, the passer penalties that are being called in this league right now are unbelievably inexcusable the way they are calling this rule this year. Yeah. I don't – and no one can tell me what actually roughing the passer includes or entails. I don't know. Here you go. It is – it's a 23-year-old rule as far as trying to not have the – most of their body weight fall on top of a quarterback. Okay, the way you worded that is wrong. So if I weigh 260, so if I, as long as I only throw 100 pounds of my body weight on this guy, it's not a penalty? How are you judging that? And why did it take them 23 years to implement this rule? I get it that the teams and coaches wanted to make it a point of emphasis, but you, they're, just like with the catch, we didn't understand what a catch was. What's a good sack? I, I really don't know. And it's a travesty because – if you think about it, you know, if you put you and I in a certain spot and I'm the quarterback and I, I'm not sure how much you weigh. And I don't know if you want to divulge that, but I weigh a little more than I should, but I, I'm I'm not as much as I was six weeks ago. I'm a 210 pound man. And if you're chasing after me and you don't put your weight in me, you're not taking me down. No, I'm Period. not. End the story. And to to sit there and have some of the rough in the quarterback pass uh, calls on guys like Big Ben. Big Ben is six foot five, maybe six foot six, and you need every bit of your body weight to take this man down. So, hex, yeah, I'm gonna fall on top of him with my body weight because I had to use my body weight to hit him. Like if if it was me hitting him, like I probably would play uh, a hybrid linebacker or cornerback position. I'm putting all my body weight in the Big Ben. Well, you have to. If not, he's not going down. No, because he's, he's already me. elusive to begin with, exactly. as big as he is. He's going to wear me like a hula hoop if I don't. <laughs> so you're expecting these world-class athletes coming in at however fast they're coming. They're coming in quicker than you and I could ever hope to be. 
How can they go from running that fast after somebody to stopping on a dime? The correct way to tackle somebody is to wrap them up. You don't have to pick the guy up and drive him to the ground, but you wrap him up with two hands and you go into the ground. You put your helmet on the side of the guy's shoulder pad so that way you're not hurting your head as well. How can these guys try to stop on a dime and have a what's considered an acceptable sack with body weight? That makes no sense to me because if the quarterback decides he's going to move his body midair and I fall on top of him and I'm trying to roll off, how is that my fault? And if the quarterback doesn't throw – if you get to the quarterback and he hasn't thrown the ball, he's a ball carrier. I don't care if he's in the pocket or not. You want to call Pat roughing the pass after the guy's let go of the ball and you land on him, that's one thing. But if he still has the blessed ball in his hands – and he's going down or he's in the pocket and you wrap him up and the ball is in his chest and it's not going anywhere, that is a sack. He is a ball carrier. That is not roughing the passer. Yeah, and, and the, the, the tackles that Clay Matthews made are what you what coaches dream of. This is what you want to teach kids to do. He put the quarterback right in that pocket where you're supposed to hit between the, the neck area and your shoulder that's where you're supposed to hit everybody this keeps you from having a neck injury this this is a good form tackle it, it, it's hard to escape a tackle like that when you put the player right there between the neck area and your arms and you wrap up and you put them down that's what Clay Matthews did and because he did it with so much force they're calling run for the passer and to me that's travesty it's just it's just, just a travesty Clay Matthews can't do it can't do the tackle any better right any better you know, it's like it's to the point like if you get basically unavailed, untouched to the to the quarterback, you better slow down because you're going to get the call. At this you. point, you might as well wrap him up with both hands and run over to the referee and set him down on two feet in front of the referee until the referee blows the whistle because that's the only way you're not going to get flagged at this point. You know, you know, and for me, it's if you okay. So if you go and you bear hug him, when do we when the referee is going to blow the whistle? Because I'm saying to the ref, what do you want me to do? Because I won't tackle him. I'm just going to grab him. But if he makes any type of move to throw this ball or get away from me, I have no choice but to throw him to the ground. Right. And you're talking about uh, not even just guys like Big Ben. Cam Newton. Cam Newton is six foot five and he's fast. So if you don't hit this man with every bit that you got, he may just run away from you and yeah. and you're, you're screwed. And these could, this could cost, it cost, literally, it cost the Packers the game. I mean, calling Clay Matthews for that. It's on Kirk Cousins. Yeah. yeah. The Packers should be. Two one two and it just two and one and not one one and one. Just, what do you do? And then the one play on Gerald McCoy where he was just trying to swat the ball, like Ben motioned that way, and Gerald McCoy did what he was taught to do. What you're always taught to do in the younger leagues is if you can't get to the quarterback, you put your hands up. He ends up touching Ben in the top of the head, and Ben goes down. He might have been hurt, whatever. But they called roughing the passer on that, and I was like, Lord, come on, man. Right. There's nothing else he could have done. He was doing what he was taught to do. And you're telling these guys who have made a living on what they basically, these things like that, you know, putting their hands up, hitting the quarterback. You're telling guys that have made a living doing this and done it great that they can no longer make their living. Right. Or you have to cost guys their seasons, defensive end William Haynes of the Dolphins, Tried not to land on Derek Carr this past weekend. Went in at a different angle. Stopped what he was doing. He ends up tearing his ACL and paying the ultimate price of his season, his livelihood, being out there with his guys. And so you're so worried about the quarterbacks. So what about these other defensive guys who are going to alter how they play and how they run? What, what happens when they get injured? What are you going to do then? And, and it's almost like in this NFL, the way it's been made, you can't touch receivers 
because that's a pass interference unless, you know, it's the Browns-Steelers game. Uh, there you can jump all over receivers, but in most games you can't touch the receiver. Now you can't hit the quarterback. I don't understand what I'm supposed to do as a defender. I would not play be on defense if I was in the NFL because I have penalties all the time. The way I play football as a defensive back is I got to touch you. Uh, and when you take off, this is how I stay with you. This is how I keep track of the quarterback. And if I can't even touch you, you you could be long gone. And I've been sitting there thinking, what happened? I'm looking right. around like, where did he go? Because I don't know where he's at anymore. And if I'm a def- if I'm a defender, a lineman, or a linebacker, I wouldn't even know what to do when I got to the quarterback. All I'm all I'm told to do is hit quarterback, and I hit him and and, and hit him hard. Right. So I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And that's what I would tell them is. I think the referees or the NFL, whoever made this decision, needs to literally send out one of those instructional videos that they love to send and say, this is what will get you rough in the passer and leave it at that so that when we go into practice next week, we can work on a whole new style of hitting the quarterback, apparently. I was listening to an interview with Jason Lockenfor, pretty respected guy, whether you mm-hmm. like him or not is one thing or another. Pretty knowledgeable guy, has lots of sources around the league. He can't even get Troy Vincent or anyone from the league office to re- return a text message over this. And quite honestly, I thought it was chicken blank, you fill in the blank, that right after Clay Matthews gets his penalty, the NFL whatever stats and whatever it is that tweeted it out is defending this. You're defending it seconds after it happens, which tells me that you're doubting the rule that you've decided to enforce and that you're knowing that this is starting to spiral out of control. When you have top main quarterbacks coming in, and one of them lost most of his season last year to a hit like this, and Aaron Rodgers and Big Ben saying, this is getting a little out of hand Absolutely. Now. They come out and they say that this is ridiculous. They understand what it's trying to preserve, but they don't understand how why it's gone this far. Right. And for me, it's even gone down into the college game. I, I may have told this story the last week when I went to, to Michigan. We had roughing the passer on – one of the Michigan linemen for SMU and it was basically he hit him and he put put him down. It, the, the, the exact call went roughing the passer, the defender hit the quarterback and let him fall to the ground. That was the exact call that was saying. And the, the, the referee got booed out of the building. And then the very next play, the SMU quarterback gets so hit so hard that his helmet bounced two yards. The training staff has to come out and see this guy no roughing the passer. So no one knows what roughing the passer is. Right. No one has any idea what they're supposed to be doing. It's worse than the catch rule. Right. The catch rule, thankfully, they've kind of, you know, decided to kind of let us know what a catch is more this year. They're not as crazy with the call and they, the calls that they've made with catches. But I think this is going to end up causing the league to lose fans. It's going to cause the league to lose viewers. Quite honestly, I almost turned off the Monday Night Football game the other night because it felt like a roughing the passer party more than a football game. It was like, at one point, do you do you start to know, you start to think, what is the record for roughing the passer calls in a game? Because there was just so many. It was like, long pass, roughing the passer, interception. Long pass, long pass, roughing the passer, he touched him, things like that. It was, it was, it was every four, every five plays that it was roughing the passer, and you were looking like, I've been watching football for 32 years. That looked normal to me. Right. They were showing a play where uh, the Browns player uh, threw Terry Bradshaw over his head and onto his neck and knocked him out. Yeah, there it is right there. Uh, Jay showing it to me on Twitter. That's roughing the passer. If the guy lets the ball go and a second or two later you come in and you deck the quarterback, that's roughing the passer. If you pick the quarterback up off of his 
legs after he's thrown the ball off his legs and you drive him into the ground, that's roughing the passer. But if you're trying to make a sack on a guy who's moving around and you fall on top of him, it's not if you wrap him up and as you fall to the ground, if the quarterback turns, you can't keep him that way because you can't land with your hands. The quarterback can't land on the defensive guy's arms. Because if I'm trying to tackle you and my arms are wrapped around your back and we fall straight down, my body weight and your body weight are on my forearms. My forearms aren't going to last very long. My wrists aren't going to last long. They're going to break. They're going to get beat up. There has to be – the NFL needs to come out and look at this right now. The competition committee needs to get together, and they need to fix this now because this is going to cost a team a game come later on this season, and then it's going to then it's going to get bad. It's already cost the Packers a game. What if it costs somebody a big playoff game? Or what if it costs somebody the Super Bowl? What if it costs a team like the Browns potentially a playoff spot yeah. for a roughing the passer call? It's gonna be a, it's gonna another be a, be a beer bottle game. This uh, is something that the NFL we're getting big now. We don't have a Bud Light fridge yet, but we're going to get one one of these days. We're getting pretty big, I think, in my own mind. Anyway. Please take a look at this. Listen to your competition committee. Listen to your quarterbacks. Your quarterbacks are coming out and talking up against this rule right now. I understand the way you've written it, but maybe you need to twinker that language a little bit. And I don't care if you, if it's an in-season thing, if it's what's best for business, as, <laughs> as, as the authority would do, and it's what's best for business. You're about protecting your brand and the shield. Well, if you have your own players coming out on both sides of the ball questioning how you're calling this, there's nothing wrong with calling your officials in and saying, hey, guys, we don't have to literally say this. You know, it can be a judgment call. And I'm not even opposed to saying, hey, let's go to New York and take a look at this. Yeah, or let's I go mean, to replay and take a look at this. About it. But let's get it right. Some of these phantom roughing the passer calls, it just changes the complexion of the game. I mean, when I'm watching a game, I'm thinking, what is the call? I sit there and I'm like, okay, defenders aren't allowed to run towards the QB. We're not allowed to tackle the QB. You're not allowed to hit the QB. Maybe you're not even allowed to touch him because that's what happened to Jerry McCoy. You're not allowed to breathe on them. You're, you may not even be allowed to put the letters QB together. I really don't know what the rough in the pass of the call is, but it, it's just ridiculous right now. And I just wish they would just sit down and either send out a video, let ESPN play it so we all can understand it, so we can either calm down about it or we can either look at it and say this needs to be changed. Something. Right. I'm all about Anything. player safety, but when you take it too far and you make it too soft of a game, and Clay Matthews is right, and if they continue to call it like this, I'm going to start a drive. Like I said in our video pumping up today's show, we're going to collect your old blankets. We're going to collect your old pillows. And we're going to send them to all the team's defensive lines and linebackers. So that way, when they're going to sack a guy, they can lay a blanket down, pick him up, put him down, lay him under a pillow, and read him a Dr. Seuss story. So that way he doesn't get a roughing the passer call. I'm sick to death of this. I've been watching this game for too long, and I am sick and tired of Corporate NFL America coming in, telling referees they have to call it exactly how the rule book says, then rewrite the damn rule so you can get it right, and so these games aren't changed. I don't want the outcome of any team season based off of phantom roughing the pasture call where these world-class athletes are playing their rear ends off. Ma, ah, I'm going to swear, so i got to stop. Yeah, I mean, and some, some people think it's all about the money, which it is. You know, it, the game is better when the starters do play, I will admit. And the, 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 the call, the roughing the passer call is for a reason, but it's just gone too far. I, the thing for me, it, it's, a, it's a downhill spiral from the fact that we just aren't getting good enough talent to back these guys up. I mean, quarterback play in the NFL is terrible, so I get it. If you blow out Aaron Rodgers or Big Ben, 
team season is pretty much over. So right. I understand the reason for the call. But when do we take onus as owners and teams and say, the reason this call is here is because we can't develop the rest of our team. We've, we've literally spent time on only our starters, and we have no depth to our team. Because as soon as, soon as Aaron Rodgers go on, Deshaun Kaiser's in the game, and we all know how that is. And I don't even know who Russell Wilson's backup is. I don't know who Jimmy Garoppolo's backup is. That is a good point. Is. I, I, I think I knew Jimmy Garoppolo's – I heard it today. I think it's Blake – it's not Blake Gabbard. It's – um. I don't think it's Brian Hoyer, is it? No, it's not Brian Hoyer. It's, he's, he, used to, he was, used to be a Missouri Tiger. Teddy uh, Bridgewater. No, he was a Missouri Tiger. Um, and doesn't matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter. So, yeah, yeah, you got these no-name guys coming in. But fix this now before it gets out of control because if you get into the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl's outcome is because a referee threw a flag for roughing the passer, the referee should not have that much bearing on the game. It should be decided by the players and the coaches. The officials are there to watch holding, pass interference, and obviously, yeah, if you have a blatant roughing the passer. But what I've seen, not one roughing the passer penalty I have seen this year has been warranted. I think the players have learned how to tackle. If a guy gets rid of the ball, you don't drive him into the ground anymore. Maybe you give him a little bit of a shove. But all these phantom penalties have not been warranted. It extends the game. It makes it go longer. Fans start to tune out. It's not good for the game. It's not good for the fans. So fix it. Get it right. This You are the biggest sports organization in the world. This is your chance to fix this controversy instead of hiding behind it on Twitter like you did after the game on Sunday. That was chicken blank, and do I expect more, and I expect better out of the NFL. Yeah, and right now what, what bothers me is all these rules are against the defense. When do we, when do we get one for the offense? When do we start helping the defenses out? Because right now your defenses are helpless, and I'm even surprised that the Browns are as good as they are with as, as much intensity as they play. Because Miles Garrett in that first game got called on that phantom uh, roughing the passer on Ben, and then they come out after the game and say, well, "What uh, happened? No, after, we what happened after that? We Next were, play, yeah, touchdown. The touchdown exactly changes the entire and, outlook of that football game. Exactly, and that's that's where I was basically getting to. It was just you. We're we're not tied with the Steelers if they don't call that roughing the passer and put the ball on the one. Right. And so." For me, when are we going to figure out something for the offenses that makes the playing field even? Because these defenders are sitting there saying, "Coach, I can't touch them. Right. I can't. I can't defend them right now because every time I do anything, there's going to be a flag called on me." Well, I mean, look at it this way too, um, and I think we both know the answer to this question. You know, what what sells tickets? What gets viewers? Offense, good offenses, high power offense, Absolutely. or defense? Yeah. So yeah, they're going to tailor the game to the offense, and I guess that's fine. But at a certain point, like you said you got to throw the defensive bone. These guys aren't out there trying to end guys' careers or hurt people, but every time you can't have guys in fear of rushing the quarterback because that's when right. injuries happen. That's when guys get hurt. That's when seasons change, and that's not what. That's not why I tune in on Sunday. Exactly. I, I, I tune in for the hits. I used to tune in for the hits. That's why I love football. It's why I went and did it because I love to hit, and that's one of my favorite things. And now I don't think I'd be made at all for any type of football right now because my sole purpose when I got on that field was to hit. I, I enjoyed it. And I would consider myself a a diluted version of Denzel Ward where he, that man can hit. But when he does, he gets an instant targeting call and he doesn't target people. I've watched his hit at Ohio State when that one that he did against Maryland was not a targeting. The one he did it against the Steelers when they called a target on him was not a target. That man put his shoulder in them and they instantly called target. 
What am I supposed to do? I'm trying to separate the ball from the receiver. What am I supposed to do? Right. And when the guy crunches down and his head's there, when I'm going in, he's upright. By the time I get there and I'm going a million miles an hour. And I think the NFL, not so much college, but the NFL has gotten a little bit better at taking a look at those targeting calls. Um, But I think the NFL knows they've got a problem with this roughing the passer fiasco. It shouldn't be a fiasco. And hopefully by the next time we talk, we can get some more, uh, you know, clarification from the NFL Um, because for as much money and for as much viewers and for everything that goes on in that league, I think they owe the teams and the fans some kind of an explanation. Yeah, for me, my last thought on it is that the roughing passer rule is stupid. It's it's just right now it's stupid. Right. Unless you hit Baker Mayfield, then call it all day. I guess I can't argue with that. All right, guys, we're going to wrap this show up. Uh, Hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed it tonight. We had a great time. Next week, man, man, do we got we got a big show. We're going to recap Browns and Raiders. We're going to recap week four like we always do. We're going to have the NF, NFL, my goodness, that Major League Baseball playoff preview. About time. Yep, it's about darn time that we get to that. We'll talk about that more. Uh, we're going to get into some more geek next week because um, I we just kind of ran out of time tonight. But the new Creed trailer dropped today. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Whew. You, I, I don't know if Adonis is going to fight Ivan Drago's son twice, but there's a shot in that trailer where they're in the ring and you, you look up, Rocky's looking up, and right across from him, me to you, and we're at a table here, Drago's looking him right in the eye, and I just got chills on the back of my head. I was like, holy smokes, Rocky and Drago are face-to-face. You know, for me, Drago has been one of my favorite villains ever, and I say it all the time. In any situation, when I'm about to to go to battle, if if he dies, he dies. I say it all the time. Right. So I, I love that character to death. I can't wait to see this movie. Uh, I actually am going to go rewatch Creed one so that I can refresh myself and be ready for the second movie. But I'm excited with yeah to break it down. Creed two comes out on Thanksgiving night. Shout out to Mark and Deb Cerny. We are going on Thanksgiving. I think I've got my wife talked into that. Very excited. So. Uh, we'll be doing some segments here soon where TK and Jay go to the movies. I think we mentioned it. I want to go see uh, – I'm big into space movies. Apollo 13 is one of my favorite movies. So the new uh, movie uh, First Man that's coming First out Man. with Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't mind going to see that and breaking it down with you. But um, I think that would be just another fun thing we can do. Um, but, yeah, Creed 2 trailer dropped today. Shout out to Sly Stallone and Michael B. Jordan. You guys, are, I think, hit another home run. Really looking forward to seeing what you guys have uh, coming up. But next week, like we said, Browns-Raiders recap. We'll look ahead to the Browns' next game. Week four, that is the NFL. MLB playoffs preview. Anything else you get, we find, guys. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good week.